1: This is the ribs and BK podcast on one Oh one ESPN. This is a guy in Yadier Molina
3: who in a 12 two game at the time takes a ball that takes a bat to his hand that we're still evaluating how compromised he will be able to play moving forward in a 12-2 game and plays two more innings. You talk about tough, you talk about dedicated, you talk about competitive. He's the most competitive, toughest player and smartest player
4: I may ever manage. And at my respect level for him is through the roof. And yes, I am going to defend that to the nth degree always.
5: I know I'm supposed to have a hot take on this today. I know I am. <laughs> I just don't. I really don't. Here's what I would have to say about everything that we saw last night as it pertains to Yadier
6: Molina, him having the catcher's interference, which, yes, he did interfere with Ryan Braun. He did. That was weird. It really was. I'm looking at the whole play, and I'm like, his hand clearly sticks his hand way out there, and it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the how he was judging that i think yadi was in the wrong there that being said i also think that mike schilt did the
5: right thing and i understand why he did it that way because if you look at who yadi or molina is why mike Matheny was fired here in st louis why mike schilt was hired and has the ear of the clubhouse the way that he does it is because of moments like that it is because of the way that he came out in support of his leader in Yadier Molina last night and so do I have a hot take on whether or not he should have taken him out of the game I think he should have, I disagree with Dan on this I think he'd take him out, but you can't take him out in that spot because it's Yadier Molina this is to a bigger conversation that we've had so many times Jamie what we saw last night is the same reason why Andrew Kisner is going to be traded it's the same reason why Yadier Molina in a 162 game season starts 140 of them it's the same reason why he started in a double header even though you have Andrew Kisner and Matt Wieters on the roster this is who Yadier Molina is you can take it or leave it that's perfectly acceptable but it's part of why he's beloved here. Here in this community?
6: Okay, so a couple things for me on this one. One, yes, Mike Schilt did the the right thing. You got a leader on your team, a guy that's respected like that. It's like having a buddy that goes, your best friend that goes and gets into a bar fight. He may have started the fight, but you follow right in and you help him clean up, right? So that's what Mike Schilt did last night. Didn't care if it was Yachty's fault or not or whatever. Somebody said something, did something, and he was right there beside Yachty saying, let's go, we're in this together. That's what players want from their head coach. That's what Craig Berube has with with his players, and now Mike Schilt, we're seeing more and more that Schilt, kind of a closet Berube when we see more and more of him, right? And that's why he's having the success he has, at least with his players. And, you know what? I disagree with you on the Yachty thing. I've been down that road. I've taken a slap shot in the face from some scumbag who did it on purpose, and... I'm not coming out of the game at that point. I'm not letting that guy know that he got the best. That's of what me. I'm saying. That I, I actually don't think we
5: disagree. I think that if it was any other player, you take him out of okay. that spot. Because Yadier
6: Molina, you're not because it's freaking Yadier Molina. But it's bigger than that too. It's yadi Molina because you know, like you said, he plays 140 of 162 games and all that. But in that moment, yadi wants to show that he, you, no matter what you do, you're not going to knock him out of the game, and you're not going to one up him, even if his arm was broken At that point, I felt like he was going to cash for the next batter at least. And obviously, thankfully, uh, it looked like it was okay. And hopefully, it is okay. Hopefully, he didn't go get a pick. We'll see.
5: It didn't sound Um, after the game like it's okay, to be honest with you.
6: (laughs) Hopefully, it is okay. Um, But either way, yeah, so that to me, that's why you leave him in there. So to me, Mike Schultz, in a very intense situation where things happen way faster, even though it feels like it's in slow motion when you're in the middle of this chaos. Things happen fast, and people make bad decisions. Shilty made the right decisions on both those situations, and to me, right now, this could be somewhat of a little bit of a, a spark that the Cardinals need.
3: The only thing I was thinking of when Schilt was going after the Milwaukee, well, there's two things. One, why is Jed Jerko in the middle of this? That was hilarious <laughs> well, he was in itself. He's trying
6: to be peacekeeper, yeah, and he right?
3: did a good job with it, but. The, I had a flashback to the to the first round of last year with Brubee and the Winnipeg Jets, where he was calling out the Jets after the whistle, and he was basically going after him because the team was pissed off at the end of that game. That's what you want from your manager and that's what unfortunately the Cardinals didn't have with Mike Matheny. The, the Molina thing, you could argue it, you can do whatever you want, you weren't pulling him out. I mean, you and Schilt tried. Schilt was yelling at him, he was telling him, the trainers were telling him, you weren't going to take him out because that was the, this is a blowout, I need to get my spirits up for my teammates. And I think Yadi did a good job with that regardless if it was broken or not you're gonna be affected and he's gonna finish out those couple of games but I think the best thing that happened in that game was what Mike Schilt did in terms of a momentum booster for those players so here's what I would say if switch it it's not
5: Yadier Molina instead it is let's say it's Andrew Kisner because Matt Wheeler is like he's a veteran catcher that's probably not going to be here next year let's say it's Andrew Kisner in that same spot He's coming out of the game Oh yeah, because he might have broken his wrist there. We don't know the severity of the injury yeah. at that point in time, right? You haven't had it actually looked at by an MRI or an x-ray. You don't know how bad the damage is there. You also don't know if it's going to get worse if you continue catching. And then he ended up taking an at-bat in the next inning as well. You don't know what that's going to do to that wrist, to that hand. If it's Andrew Kisner in that spot, he is coming out of the game. And he should come out of that game, frankly. That being said, Yadier Molina is a different animal. If he doesn't want to come out of that game, there are very few players in baseball that are this way. But if he says he's not coming out, then he's not coming out. You can't do anything else as a manager. He has that power and he might be the only player on that roster that has that power veto power Mm -hmm. basically over the manager it's or Molina and that's pretty much it I don't think anybody else can do what Yadi did last night
6: no I think the close second would be Waino if Waino was pitching a game where he felt he still had some stuff and that he wasn't ready to come out and Schilti came out and I'm sure Waino was adamant about hey no I got another half inning or another inning in me I think Schilti would consider giving him that leash Um, I don't know but I think that's to be the only other guy and to your point about Kisner here's how I see that you know working out last night if that's Kisner is I think Mike Schilp does the same thing I think he comes out and if he hears a comment from the other bench I think he's he's gonna protect his player but then I also to your point think Kisner's out of the game we we'll are go with somebody different and move on from there make sure the kid isn't hurt um but Yachty yeah he's your warrior he's your leader and that just builds more credibility to the player and it adds to what the culture is in that clubhouse and guys that are going to go to bed last night and hopefully wake up today and go, we got to crush these guys. That that BS that happened last night, uh uh-uh, we got to crush these guys. Hopefully it works that way. I love what Jim Edmonds said, too, in the
3: broadcast. Like, he was fired up, which rightfully so, and something like that, but him talking about the guys chirping from the dugout with the masks on, and you kind of saw Milwaukee back away from it, but Yachty wasn't going to take it. Yachty heard it and went over there immediately, and we're starting to see a lot more chirping in baseball now, which we talked about this last week, BK. I'm all for it. Like, it's making the game more entertaining, but good on Yachty to hear it and immediately address it along with Mike Schilt, because what that does for those younger guys is it it gives them that fire and you want that fire in some of your younger players if you see Yachty do it the other guys are going to do it and it's a it's a group by community thing and I, and I think that's important for this Cardinals team moving into the stretch in the battle for a playoff spot
5: it's 11:14. 14 your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler you mentioned that Mike Schilt has a little bit of that Craig Berube in him I went back this morning and made sure to pull the speech from Mike Schilt in the postseason last year. I just feel like we need to listen to this on this, uh, what is it, Wednesday morning? Here's Mike Schilt last year.
1: We started some We finished the, 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 the game. Game. Yeah, and that's how we roll. We don't start, but no one with us ever, ever. All right. Now I don't give a who we play. We're gonna him up. We're gonna take it right to him the whole way. We're gonna kick their yeah.
7: Yeah. yeah. That's basically what he said
5: yesterday. Like he didn't say it in those exact same terms, but he might as well have just played that speech on repeat during his postgame press conference availability. He
6: almost did. It was close.
5: He was basically just summarizing what he said a year ago to his players. So if you're wondering who Mike Schilt is, we saw it yesterday and it wasn't the first time we've seen it. But that was just a more public display than what we've seen from him in the past with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So that was the storyline that ended up dominating the game. It was not the only storyline to come from that game the heck is going on with jack flarity we'll talk about it coming up next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs
1: and bk podcast on 101 espn
4: yeah i do think that his command is off and i you know is that because of the 17-day shutdown he's talked about you know not really being able to do it much if anything for a lot of that time and then the team really kind of babied him, frankly, when they got back. And we all know why, because he might be the most important, most valuable ask, you know asset in this entire organization. They didn't want to, you know, they, they gave him extra time to prepare. He just hasn't gotten in sync yet.
5: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314BK. If anybody should understand Jack having a bad game, it should be you since you have a bad show several times a week. Good morning to all of you out there. Wow. Listening
6: audience. You could offer some advice. I mean, text line's probably
5: not wrong. So here's how you bounce back from uh, having a bad performance. I say this having plenty of experience myself. You just forget about it. You forget about it, and you come in the next day thinking that everything's going to be better. That's what I do probably five times a week here on this show, Jamie. Just forget <laughs> about it, and you hope that tomorrow's a little bit better. And Jack Flaherty certainly needs to do that because... He has not gone more than five innings now in a start since opening night of the regular season. It has been... Almost two months now since the last time that Jack Flaherty went more than five innings in any start. And last night was his worst one yet. He allows eight hits, nine earned runs, two homers. He had six strikeouts, which is nice, but 10 base runners in three innings. That's just that's not going to cut it for him. And for some reason, he's had a lot of struggles against the Brewers as a whole. Derek Gould had this this note in his story today in his past seven starts against Milwaukee. Jack Flaherty has allowed 30 earned runs, including 11 homers, and he's gone just 33 innings total in those seven starts. There's a problem for Jack going up against the Brewers, and I'm not sure what it is exactly, but they seem to have his number. He needs to get things going because we're running out of time now before we get to the postseason, and we've all, we've all got our fingers crossed that the Cardinals are playing in the postseason at this point, but. He's supposed to be your ace. He's the guy that you would expect to be on the mound for game one. And if he's throwing this way, Jamie, I still think he's going to be a starter for them in the playoffs. But if he's throwing like this, I don't know that you could put him out there on the mound in game one of a playoff series.
6: Yeah, that went through my head last night as I'm looking at it. And it was based. It was wrapped around the conversation we had had about who your three starters would be if the playoffs started tomorrow. And, you know, we all three of us had Flaherty in there in some shape or form. I'm looking at it going, wow, you know, am I changing my mind maybe? Am I thinking KK Wayno and Dakota Hudson at this point? And I just don't know what's up with Jack. Obviously, he's a future superstar, um, and he's actually still already a superstar. But there's a bump in the road right now, and I don't know what it is. But this is magnified by the f- simple fact that you're in a shortened season. You don't have days off. Your bullpen takes a beating. And when we have heroic... We'll call them heroic performances from Adam Wainwright and KK and even Dakota Hudson going deep into the game to save innings on your bullpen. And then for the for the whole season, every time Flaherty's up there, your bullpen is active. You're going deep into the bullpen, and five innings is as far as he's gone, but there's been some games he's been out in the third inning. So you can't have your number one pitcher, your ace, your stud – putting the most stress on your bullpen because those are the games where you're counting on him not putting stress on your bullpen. So I don't know what's going on with Jack Flaherty, uh, but yeah, to, the, to your point about the Brewers, they knock him all over the park. For some reason, they've got some tape or some book on him that they know what's coming and they're able to to get good bat on the ball when they when they play against him but he's got to get it figured out part of me wonders if he's doing too much on the mound because of what
3: he did last year for this team I mean he put historic numbers up as a starter and then you come into this year where he started off I don't remember what that first game was before the pause it wasn't normal Jack Flaherty but it was two runs and he gave them innings and then that pause happened and everyone was talking about you know how's this going to affect Jack throwing in the mattresses this long off I wonder if he's trying to do too much now. Like, I wonder if he's thinking in his mind, I need to be the ace. I need to be the savior. And as a second year, everyday starter, I don't know if you can have that mindset like an Adam Wainwright took how many seasons to be the okay? I need to be the savior. I can be the savior. I think Jack just needs to go back to being a pitcher for this team and not trying to paint the picture that you painted last year as the best pitcher in the National League, a Cy Young contender. He was going to take a step back at some point but now it feels like he's just trying to be the strikeout king, whereas he just needs to be Jack Flaherty.
5: See, I I don't necessarily see it that way. He was really good on opening night. I mean, really good. If you guys remember, that was against the Pirates. He went seven innings, allowed just two earned runs. He looked like the Jack Flaherty from a year ago. Against the Pirates, right? Yeah, against the Pirates, so maybe not it a not count. Team. I understand. Um, <laughs> but then he ends up I, – I think a large part of what happened here is – when they they gave him so much time off after they returned because he, he was him
6: too much. He
5: was the last one back. And then when he returned that first game, he went just one and two thirds innings. He ended up throwing in that game 40 pitches against the Cubs and wasn't totally right. As you mentioned there, Ferrario wasn't totally right in that one. He did. He started once between. Uh, July 24th and August 24th one time. And that was that one and two thirds outing on August 19th. I think you're right, Jamie. I think they went too long between starts and it would have been hard to know at that point that this would have taken place and it would have potentially messed him up. But I think the theory was we've got to be really careful with this guy. This guy is our future. He is our ace of the future. He is a superstar in this league and we want to make sure that we don't throw him before he's ready And now it's looking like, well, maybe they should have thrown him a little bit earlier. It's hindsight. It is 20, 20, 100 percent armchair quarterbacking. But now that we see what these results are, that's kind of what it's looking like to me. It's looking like that's what happened is his mechanics got a little bit out of whack. He hasn't been the same guy since, but he was Jack Flaherty. Whenever he, they started out this season, and then ever since they returned, he hasn't been that guy again.
6: Look, I understand the the thought process of the Cardinals on that one. You have a young arm that is very, very, ex- well, extremely valuable to your team and you, the future of your team. You want to try and make sure you're taking the right steps in a crazy pandemic season. But he also, you have to look at it too. I have a young arm that is probably going to recover faster than any of the other arms we have. It's probably going to warm up easier. It, when you're young, things are just easier for that, that athlete. And so yeah, I think they should have thrown him in there quicker and got him going and and not played the, you know, handle with care card. I think it messed with him. And I think Jack's in his own head a little bit. You know, I think that everything that's gone on from last year to where he, he, he defined himself as an upper echelon pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. Then the contract tar- st- uh, talk started to happen and how they're going to work that, what he wants to do for big money. Then other stuff started leaking in and more and more and more. And Jack has become more vocal on several different things, including the labor disagreement with the with Major League Baseball. He was a big voice in that. I feel like he's, t- try, he's just done too much here. Let's get back to focusing on baseball let's get back to the fact that you're still a young guy you really haven't done anything yet you haven't you're great the yet. best
5: second half of any cardinals pitcher since fine. Gibson. But,
6: but what has he won um, a lot of games <laughs> but B- <laughs> bk you're missing my point one half a season if you were to bet a million dollars on that like you'd be like okay he only gave me a half a season I understand he has the potential, but he needs to get back to that. He needs to focus on being that guy. That
3: was my point too. And not
6: get too in his. I think maybe his ego got inflated a little bit. I think Jack Flaherty thinks Jack Flaherty is pretty awesome, too. And I think he needs to dial that
3: back. That was my point, too, because the first half of last season, people were wondering if he needs to go back to the minors and get more work like it wasn't Jack Flaherty. It was the second half where it turned on. There was some fire that was lit under Jack Flaherty. But that's I wonder if he's trying to do too much out there. He's trying to be a savior. He's trying to be an ace. He's trying to be a strikeout guy. He's trying to go nine innings in a complete game. Just be Jack Flaherty. I mean, he's hitting a lot of bats right now. There's a lot of foul tips. He's trying to be the strikeout guy where it's like, just make contact, Jack. Your defense behind you is phenomenal. Just be Jack Flaherty for us. We don't need you to be a savior. I think we might be overreacting a little bit to one game. That's my
5: only thing If it was only
6: one game, I'd say that, but it hasn't been just one game.
5: I mean, prior to last night, he had a 3-0 ERA on the season. He hadn't been going deep into games, but a lot of that was also because they were limiting his pitch count. So it, it, it's a lot of different factors going into this. I'm with you guys. What we saw last night, that can't happen. That, that cannot happen for Jack Flaherty. What we saw previously from him wasn't vintage Flaherty, but it... It was still good his numbers if you look at some of I know you guys make fun of the expected stats but going into last night the expected stats for him were really good and his his actual metrics as well were quite good so I'm not super worried but what we saw last night was not anything that's going to give you any sort of confidence moving forward with him and if he doesn't get it cleaned up he's got basically two more starts before the postseason if he doesn't look good in those two I, I, Don't think you can go to him in game one of the playoffs. I I don't know how you can have a whole lot of confidence in that. I I think Waino's got to be that guy. Talk a little bit more about Adam Wainwright and what he needs to bring for the Cardinals coming up later today. But coming up next, Steve Palazzolo is a senior analyst at Pro Football Focus. What in the world happened to Tom? In the Buccaneers' offense this week, and we'll ask Steve Palazzolo when he joins us coming up next on
1: 101 ESPN. Join 101 ESPN and the St. Louis Blues for the Virtual Blue Note 5K, November 13th through 15th, presented by Together Credit Union. Sign up as a virtual runner, then complete the distance on your own, and you'll receive a Blues retro-themed long-sleeve shirt and medal for participating. Register before October 15th for a discounted entry fee, with proceeds benefiting Blues for Kids. Get all the info and find the link to get signed up for the virtual Blue Note 5K. Now at 101espn.com.
5: Hey, Illinois. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Sports betting is officially here, and FanDuel's Paradise Sportsbook is giving you an exclusive offer to celebrate. Right now, they are giving users $50 in free bets just for signing up. You heard that right. They are giving you $50 to get started on FanDuel's Paradise Sportsbook. No deposit is even required. $50 is just going to be added to your account within 48 hours of signing up.
6: Now, the emergency suspension of the on-site registration is due to expire Saturday, September 19th. That's right, this Saturday. If it's not extended, that would mean you need to travel to a specific sports book in Illinois to register in person. So you better act fast. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You get that 50 bucks for free. Place your bets. The opportunity for that may come to an end on Saturday, September 19th. So make sure you get on it. FanDuel is America's number one sports betting site for a reason.
5: They've got a simple, intuitive app that makes it easy for all of us to find the bets that we're looking for. And then we can lock it in. It's as simple as that, Jamie.
6: And unlike other sports books, the the thing that I like the most is FanDuel gets your cash back in as little as twenty four hours. Why is that important? Because it's the right thing to do. I win my money. I want it back. Don't keep my money, you know. But right now, the thing for you to do is to download the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app. Check out all the fantastic app for yourself. Be sure to take advantage of his exclusive offers. Start betting.
5: And all you got to do is sign up with our promo code. That's Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. So that way they know that we sent you. And be sure to act fast on this. Again, reminder, Saturday could be a deadline for this. That's FanDuel's Paradise Sportsbook. Promo code Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Must be 21 or older, present in Illinois. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires seven days after receipt. $10 minimum deposit required to withdraw any winnings. Terms and restrictions may apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: This is your last chance to cut a deal on our full lineup of compact utility tractors here at Side Sugar Nobi Partners. Time is running out to save thousands on a John Deere compact tractor package that comes with our exclusive 10 year warranty. Get the John Deere experience you've been looking for by shopping online or visiting us at any of our 26 locations before these deals end. Let's cut a deal now at Side Sugar Nobi, your partner for the land, snpartners.com.
3: Offer valid through 925-2020. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details.
4: For heating and cooling service, repairs and installation, get in your comfort zone with Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling, providing residential and commercial HVAC service for over 50 years. Visit aircomfortservice.com. That's aircomfortservice.com.
0: We'd all love to forget about 2020, right? Well, at Auto Centers Nissan Wood River, they're making it easy to forget about 2020. That's because they've got six thousand dollars off Altimas and Rogues with zero percent and no payments until 2021. How about that for forgetting about 2020? Financing options for everyone at Auto Centers Nissan Wood River. So if you're worried about how you're going to finance that new car, no worries. Auto Centers Nissan Wood River—they're there for you. Again, financing options for everyone. As always, 30-day return policy on all new. Neeson. Nissan. So how about a little peace of mind? They do that. I don't know any other dealership that does it, but at Auto centers, Nissan, a Wood River, we're talking about 30 day return policy on all new Nissans. Don't forget. You can also purchase online as well. You could select your new car, set up the financing and even have auto centers, Nissan deliver your new ride. If you're within that 50 mile radius of the dealership, it's one of the many ways that auto centers, Nissan, a Wood River is making things convenient for you. And don't forget, tell them Stalter sent you. It's auto centers, Nissan, a Wood River.
1: WXOS and WXOS HD One, East St. Louis. 101 ESPN, powered by Lowe's. Bring on fall with Lowe's. Get inspired
8: for the season with new harvest and Halloween decor starting at 3.98 at Lowe's.com. Selection and pricing vary by location while supplies last. U.S. only.
1: The MLB, NBA, and NHL are back. Keep it locked here for around the clock coverage. This is 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN Sports Center.
3: I'm Alex Ferrario with another Randy's Jewelry Sports Center update. Last night, Cardinals got thumped by Milwaukee, 18 to 3, in their fifth loss in their last seven games. A total of four pitchers used last night as Flaherty only made it through three innings, giving up nine earned runs in his second loss of the season. Today, the Cardinals begin their second doubleheader in three game or three days against Milwaukee. Game one will be Adam Wainwright on the mound against Brandon Woodruff. First pitch from Milwaukee at 4:10. Also, last night, the Denver Nuggets advanced to the West. Conference finals to take on the Lakers with a victory over the Clippers 104 to 89. It's the third time in Doc Rivers' career as a head coach that he has lost the best of seven series after his team was leading 3 to 1. The Sports Center update was brought to you by Randy's Jewelry. Randy's Jewelry.com. We make quality affordable.
1: It's more St. Louis sports talk and opinion. This is Ribs and BK, broadcasting from a Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN.
5: Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line here in just a moment. Excited to be joined by the senior analyst over at Pro Football Focus. He's Steve Palazzolo. I want to get his thoughts on what we've been talking so much about this week, Jamie, which is
6: Tom Brady and the struggles that he had oh, in week gosh. one. You're all over my boy Brady, huh? Already. You, you're you're just loving this, by the way. I don't like you just relishing in his misery right now. Well,
5: listen, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't enjoy watching him struggle on Sunday. That being said, I'm not expecting it to continue this I'm weekend. I'm here to
6: defend you, Tom.
5: The uh, The schedule opens up a little bit. They get the Panthers on Sunday. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk it over with Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Steve, let's e- bring you in on that conversation. Brady didn't look great on Sunday. I think it's going to get a little bit back towards the norm whenever they go up a- against that Panthers defense what did you see from him last weekend and how concerned should people be about his debut down in tampa
4: yeah i mean i i I looked at brady's performance and i i didn't have the opposite feeling necessarily i know it was it wasn't all smooth but i think he played much better than the stat showed or even that the the perception coming out of things i i thought I, i thought brady was excellent on touch throws on deep throws he had uh, three pass interference penalties, which I usually don't like to credit to a quarterback, but all of those throws were on the money down the field. Um, I, I think where he struggled was obviously the pick six was a disaster. That was, you know, left back and inside and just bad. And I thought anytime he had to kind of reset his feed and put a little zip on the ball, he was off. He definitely had some ugly misses in there too. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting that connection with Bruce Arians though, the downfield passing attack that Arians is known for. Brady was excellent there. But there is that little bit of discomfort within the system where you just don't have that 20 years of just second nature knowing where to go with the football, no matter what you see. So I think that's where there's going to be a bit of a learning curve, even for a 43-year-old quarterback. But I think overall, throw the ball downfield, Brady looks good. It was actually the short area stuff where he was off, which is kind of, uh, you know, unexpected given Brady's history and how good he's. He's been, you know, throwing accurately to all levels of the field.
6: Yeah, Steve, that's kind of where I wanted to go. You talk about Brady, you know, 43 years old, but you know, as well as I do, like uh, I'm up there, I'm 45 and I'm kind of set in my ways. Right. And t- if I was to go and join another team, at this point in my life learning their system and the ins and outs of what they're trying to do as well as, I don't know, go through a crazy training camp with a pandemic attached to it. No preseason, no official snaps before my debut, even though I'm Tom Brady, I think that all the different, the unique steps leading up to this season has to have impacted that a little bit.
4: Well, I think so too. I think that's why we don't need to completely overreact to week one, you know, Brady, Like Brady's had bad Week One games, even with the Patriots, you know, and and gone on to win Super Bowls. So, you know, I think it's it's too early to completely, you know, write him off or or draw conclusions because of everything that you said. At the same time, I do think it'll be interesting. You know, Brady, you you have to hold the ball a little bit longer in Bruce Arians' system. You know, there are outlets you can throw the ball a little bit shorter if you need it, but Brady's got to hang in there and take some hits to create some of those deep shots. It'll be interesting to see how they balance that with a little bit of the quick game and the intermediate game. I think that would be, you know, what I'm looking for going forward is how many more quote unquote Brady like plays do they have? I mean, they also were just running the ball like crazy, running the ball into loaded boxes, not running play action, not really, uh, you know, creating favorable situations for the quarterback, and I think they need to do a lot more of that going forward. Steve
5: Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus joining us here on 101 ESPN. Steve, on the other side of that game, we saw Drew Brees, and I mean the, the score looks nice, right? They score 34 points in the game, but of course, seven of that comes off of the pick six, And a lot of that came via a couple of nice plays for them. Uh, Drew Brees was a little concerning in the way that he played to me. What did you see from him, and how big of a blow is it going to be to not have Michael Thomas over the next few weeks with him being out with this high ankle sprain?
4: Yeah, this is why we do what we do at PFF, because if you just looked at the box score and saw Brady's 78 passer rating and Drew Brees' 96.5 passer rating, you would assume Brees, even though he only had 160 yards, you would assume he played better, but he had a touchdown on a screen. He had a touchdown where Emmanuel Sanders did all the work. That's what actually made his numbers look decent. Breeze was the—he's got the lowest completion percentage in the league right now, throwing at ten plus yards. So I think that is a bit of a concern. I'm not—if I'm not going to overreact to Brady, I'm not going to overreact to Breeze. But you know, there were questions down the stretch last year about his ability to throw the ball down the field, and he did not you know, answer any of those. I don't think in in week one. And then you lose Michael Thomas, the guy who is the best possession receiver in the nfl i'm not using that as a knock that is you know a guy who gets open and moves the chains he had 20 more first downs than any other receiver in the league last year so um i I think it's a huge blow to a team that is loaded you know that has you know good options and having emmanuel sanders there to pick up the workload is is absolutely huge compared to what they've had in recent years they could figure it out drew Brees does a nice job spreading the ball around but they're, they're just working with a you know, a a tighter margin of error offensively because Brees wasn't pushing the ball down the field, seemed a little bit hesitant, and that just puts more pressure on guys getting open at the short and intermediate level. So, yeah, losing Michael Thomas, I think, could be a big blow for this offense.
6: All right, Steve, since we're not overreacting yet after week one, I got to bring it to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Is it time to maybe realize that Baker Mayfield is not the guy or are we overreacting a little bit still, even though this is what his third season with the team?
4: No, I I'm as big of a Baker fan as there is just because there was so much, you know, good data that said, Hey, he's going to be okay. He's going to be really good coming out of college. Um So I, you know, I don't want to overreact to one game. However, uh, the concerning part is, you know, my narrative coming into the season was, you know, last year was just such a disaster. The offense was a mess. I've never seen an offense so out of sync, not just with the quarterback, but the O-line, the receivers, everything. And we saw a lot more of that in week one. And Baker just mm-hmm. not make it, you know, open throws when he needs to. Pocket presence still an issue. So my concern is that the same concerns from last year were still there in week one. So uh, we'll see again Thursday night, uh, you know, take it on the Bengals. But, yeah, that was not... Not what I expected from Baker or the offensive system. You know, they ran they did not again put the quarterback in a great position to succeed, did not use the play action, the move the pocket game. I thought there were gonna be more there was gonna be more quote unquote easy stuff for Baker in this new offense with uh, you know with the with, in the new system and we just didn't see that yet in week one
5: we're talking with Steve Palazzolo of pro football focus here on 101 ESPN Steve the game that I thought kind of went overlooked over the weekend because of how many storylines we had and even in that time slot uh, the Saints versus Bucks was Cardinals versus 49ers and the Cardinals coming up with a huge win in week one over the Niners did we learn more in that game in your opinion about the Cardinals being more of a contender maybe than some of us expected this season or about the 49ers potentially having more struggles to get back to where they were a year ago
4: so I think yeah I I think you learn more about the Cardinals you know my take on the 49ers was last year was awesome they were great I I loved that they won games in so many different ways and they they were they were just really good all around I had a really tough time thinking that they could duplicate that just because the NFC is so loaded their own division is loaded as we just saw Um, They had the best pass coverage defense in the league, which is just you just can't bank on that year to year. You can bank on great quarterback play. It's generally pretty consistent. Defense is just not consistent in the NFL. I mean, we saw that again on Sunday. And, you know, as far as roster building goes, they just kind of like remain status quo. You know, They lost a left tackle. They picked up a left tackle. They lost a wide receiver. They drafted a receiver. So um, I I didn't have a lot of faith in the Niners getting better this year or being able to duplicate what they did. I did have a little bit. I, I, I do now have see from the Cardinals, though, you do have Kyler Murray. And it, the thing I liked about him coming out was this, you know, his floor, I think, was high because of his rushing ability. And we saw that with the league high 91 rushing yards and that incredible run uh, for a touchdown. Um, So I think Kyler, even if he's not having the best passing game, is going to, you know, he could stumble into 70 yards on the ground or 90 yards on the ground and move the chains. And plus the DeAndre Hopkins factor, he just looks fantastic in that system. So I really think just those two changes, you know, Kyler in year two and DeAndre Hopkins making that passing attack all that more proficient uh, does move Arizona forward. And it makes the NFC West all the more interesting.
6: Steve, I think everybody at the start of this season was wondering who was going to challenge the Chiefs in the AFC. And we look through every division and you kind of go back and forth. But what I saw on Sunday with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, who's back under center and with their defense, is this a team that could be problematic for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs?
4: Yeah. I do some Pittsburgh radio every week too. And they actually pitched it the same way. They're like, will our Steelers be, you know, that, that (laughs) uh, of course I said, yes, you know, I'm on Pittsburgh radio, but, um, they, they have the elements though, right? Because you saw big Ben, he was a little off early on, but even when he's off too, it's like, he's aggressive. You know, he's going to drive the ball down the field. That offense is going to look completely different than it did last year with Mason Rudolph and duck Hodges throwing the ball. So at the very least they have the potential for an explosive offense and then yeah defensively that front is fantastic the defensive line the edge rushers and TJ Watt and then Bud Dupree has continued to improve uh, the secondary you know they were they were a little off compared to where they were last year but they're they're still solid back there with Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden so I do think they have all the elements they have the pieces and if we're talking a you know a one game playoff essentially with the Kansas City Chiefs can the Steelers hang absolutely so I think yeah they they absolutely threw themselves into the mix there to to be the team that could potentially challenge the Chiefs in the AFC.
5: Steve, thanks so much for the time today, man. Enjoy the games this week. We appreciate you helping us not to overreact too much to one <laughs> week in the NFL season. We'll talk with you again soon.
4: Sounds great. Thanks for having
5: me. Guys. You got it. That's Steve Palazzolo, senior analyst over at Pro Football Focus. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at PFF underscore Steve, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, I saw a stat last night. Teams that start 0 and 2 over the last decade, you would expect them to make the playoffs 11% of the time. One out of 10 times, basically, they would make the postseason. Which team that's facing 0 and 2 has the most risk this weekend? Which one is facing the most pressure? We'll get to that. Plus, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Questions and answers is coming up next.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Without you, there's no show, but don't let it go to your head. It's Ribs and BK, powered by Auto Center's Nissan on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now 65780. It's Ribs and BK's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
5: 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers Jamie I looked it up last night teams that fall to an 0-2 hole in the NFL season on average would make the postseason just 10% of the time with this new format so I'm going to ask you I want to ask Ferrario this as well which of these teams that's facing a potential 0-2 hole do you think has the most pressure to get back on the right side of the ledger this weekend is it the Cowboys at home against the Falcons, the Vikings on the road against the Colts, the 49ers on the road against the Jets. Let's be honest here. The Eagles at home against the Rams, the Bucs, your Bucs at home against the Panthers or the Texans at home against the Ravens. Which of those six teams has to avoid Owen 2 this weekend, in your opinion,
6: in my opinion, the Bucs. I really feel that way. When I look at the NFC, and I specifically look at the NFC South and the NFC West, those two divisions in particular, there's a lot of a lot of teams that are playoff possible. And so if the Bucks go 0-2 and the Saints win, the Falcons, if everybody keeps winning, it makes it harder to catch these guys because there's so many great teams. So for me, for my dollar, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got to get back to 500 this weekend. I going to go with the Vikings. <laughs> no, Long, dramatic. Yeah. There. I'm I looking like, through. Is he
3: awake? I'm looking through. Well, there's like three <laughs> of them that aren't that that really have pretty big stipulations going into this week. But listen, yeah. the Vikings. I mean, I think. Losing last week for Minnesota. They just didn't look right. Now in their division with the Saints losing Michael Thomas, you have a real opportunity to capitalize. Colts are going to be pissed off. Colts lost to the Jaguars. Like, that was one of the most embarrassing losses of week <laughs> one. If the Vikings go down 0-2, there's going to be a lot of problems and a lot of questioning their offseason of not bringing back Diggs, bringing in the, the defensive player um, Ngakwe, uh, from, yeah, Ngakwe from, from Jacksonville. I think there's going to be a lot of questions for Minnesota if they go 0-2.
5: It's actually a pretty good point by you, Ferrario. Why are you surprised by that? He was half asleep, too, when he did it. I know. He he had to think about it an extra, like, three seconds, and I think that's what led to it. Let's
3: Let's be honest here. The only teams that aren't in that big of a controversy are the Eagles and Niners, because we're expecting them to lose again.
6: Uh, I'm worried about the I'm Eagles. I'm not so. expecting oh, the, the Niners, Niners with to the lose Jets. against the Jets. If uh, they
5: lose to the Jets, yeah. we've got some serious questions to ask about that team.
6: I some am worried about the Eagles, questions.
5: I, yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair one to be worried about. My team, though, that I'm going to say has the most pressure this weekend because it's probably the hardest game of any of these teams is the Texans. If they fall to 0-2, it's not a sign that they are like in trouble because they lost to the Ravens necessarily, but... I mean, eventually, you got to start winning some games, man. And they've got this one against the Ravens at home. Next week, they go on the road to take on Pittsburgh. The following week, they're back at home against the uh, the Vikings, rather. (laughs) And then they've got the Jaguars. Like... You gotta start getting a few wins I know you've been in locker rooms, Jamie I'm sure, where you start off really slow in a season This thing can avalanche quickly You start getting some finger pointing That's going on inside of that locker room Especially when you know that their coach Isn't the most beloved human being in the world That could be an ugly place to be If you start the season 0-3
6: Look, they have the potential Of being 0-4 here quickly and that's crazy I, I didn't realize their schedule was so tough to open up specifically the first three games this is going to be a huge uphill battle for the Texans especially since you know they've lost the first game against the Chiefs and like you said Bob is not probably the favorite head coach in, in the NFL and they're going to start looking for reasons to be angry at each other and yeah, that's a tough one. Good call.
5: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, what do you think about the Big Ten deciding that they're gonna play football this fall after all? So I have a little bit of an additional information to add in here, Jamie. This comes from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. He says that the Big Ten is not going to have a built-in bye week this season. They have a 21-day suspension of play for any player that tests positive. So if you test positive, you're out for 21 days, three weeks. And if your team has 5% of the players test positive, 5%, you have to shut things down. I don't know what the amount of time is that you have to shut things down, but you have to shut down your team for 5% of them testing positive. For how long? The rest of the season? I don't know. It doesn't say here, but there's no way if these are the requirements for the big 10, that they're going to be able to finish this season with any sort of realistic chance of having a real season. No, no way.
6: No chance. I mean, look at baseball had its struggles early on um, with the idea of not being in a bubble. And we've talked about that at length. And now the NFL is having a go at it. And to this point, seems like it's going okay College show is a whole other animal, in my opinion. And I think that you're going to have kids who make bad decisions. I mean, quite honestly, I never went to college, but that, that seems to me like that's what it is. You make bad decisions, you learn a lesson and you hopefully do something better the next time. Right. I could assure you that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So these guys are going to be forced with a lot of decision making. And if it's only four or five players on a team and you're shutting the team down, I feel like that's going to be an easy number to get to, especially when you have, what, 90, 90, 85? Yeah,
5: you got 85 scholarships. 85 that you can scholarships
6: work with. on your team, four people. That's not a whole heck of a lot as far as, you know, narrowing down your percentages. So, yeah, I, I'm worried about that. I
3: bet you this opens the door for coaches to not disclose if there's any outbreaks. They have to. with it Within the league, you have to. It's,
6: it's think a public it's, health
3: safety issue.
6: Yeah, and I think also, too. Because they're amateur athletes. We all can insert joke here at this point, right? Because yeah, oh they never get paid. Yeah, good one but also because they're amateur athletes, uh, it's a full disclosure situation where they have to tell you,
3: you know, there's going to be a coach that doesn't disclose it. There well, will be yeah, one coach. Get fired
6: or that team will get penalized yep. by the NCAA.
3: And that coach is an Ed Orgeron who basically said his entire team has COVID. That was amazing. That was For amazing. For anybody that missed
5: the comment yesterday, Ed I Orgeron. I'm not surprised. Though. He basically came out publicly and said, Hey, listen, you know, most of our teams already had COVID. <laughs> so hopefully they don't get it
3: again. Well, <laughs> it's like no. He, oh. he actually said
6: COVID.
3: Most that COVID. That was pretty good, Jay. Not bad. That was pretty good.
5: Alright, last one here. You know we play the game One Gotta Go on Fridays here on Rivs and BK. Yes, it's,
3: my favorite. It's one. one has to go.
5: Nope, one gotta go. <laughs> uh there was one that I saw last night that was one cookie must go. Raisin, snickerdoodles, peanut butter,
3: frosted sugar cookies, or double chocolate. Do people like frosted sugar cookies? If you or make them right, if you make it, they got to be soft. You got those hard ones that break apart into like hundreds of pieces when you bite into them. They're disgusting. Yeah, they're I would trash. agree with that. They,
6: they, they're they not my favorite by far, but if they are soft and they're, they're Ooh, done yeah. the right way, they can be enjoyable. Double one, chocolate's got to go. Th- no, not for me. The one that's got to go for me is peanut butter. Ooh, I just I love peanut butter. I, I love peanut butter, don't get me wrong, but in a cookie form, I'm like, yeah. I mean, if I want to go gag myself with peanut <laughs> butter, I'll just go take a spoon into the jar and and try to eat that. <laughs> Sounds I, fun. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. That's why that one for me, the peanut putters, cat I hate frosted sugar cookies. <laughs> Just despise them. There's
5: no such thing as a good frosted sugar cookie. You can make it soft, hard. I don't care what it is. It's not good. You sure about with that? Jamie Rivers Sometimes and Alex Ferrario. Way. I'm Brandon. i going to power through this here. Danny Mac is a professional, a true radio professional, unlike these jokers around me. And he's going to join us coming up next to talk about what we saw last night from the Cardinals games. What happened with Yadier Molina? It's all coming up on 101 ESPN.
1: We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on one Oh one ESPN.
5: Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Dan McLaughlin. He's a Cardinals broadcaster, host of scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock. You can find his work scoops with Danny Mac.com. And we'll be watching him plenty over the next few days. as The Cardinals continue having these double headers, Dan, how you doing today, man? I am doing great. How about you guys? Oh, we are just fantastic. So let's start. We talked a little bit earlier today about the Yadier Molina situation from last night. Let's start with the other big story from last night's game, and that is Jack Flaherty and the struggles that we saw from him on the mound. We discussed this a little bit, Dan, and I said I, I'm not too worried yet about Flaherty because it was really one big blow up as opposed to a a continuation of issues from the rest of the season that he's had. But what did you see from him last last night and how, how important is it going to be for him to get this thing turned around before the Cardinals get into the postseason
8: I, th- I think it's vital that he get it uh, gets it turned around because you are relying on him to be a pseudo ace of this team he's not in 2020 um, that ace title is going to the guy that is pitching today and Adam Wainwright um, I, I think it's kind of an outlier for him because he he just has not pitched well against the Milwaukee Brewers, and maybe the Brewers have a tell on him. Maybe he's tipping a pitch against the uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, whatever the case may be. It's one thing when you give up home runs and you give up hits. The disappointing thing for me with Jack last night is that he didn't give you innings, and you needed innings even when you don't pitch well, and you know what the Cardinals are facing with a depleted bullpen, and you know you have a doubleheader today. You have another one coming up over the weekend with Pittsburgh. You needed the innings, and you didn't get it from Jack, and and that was the disappointing thing for me. It's, it's not that he didn't pitch well last night. It's, it's the fact that he has not pitched well against Milwaukee, and at that ballpark, Um, in his short career. So they've got something on him and I'm not overly concerned about a BK one bit. He's got good stuff. There is no questioning that he was hitting 95, 96 on the gun. So it's not a physical thing. I'm sure he's going to be fine. It's just one of those things where he just didn't have it last night.
6: Yeah, I was concerned watching that last night, but my concern actually dove deeper into the bullpen situation because, as as we've talked about, Bueno's had some magnificent performances this year. Saved this team so many innings of bullpen action. KK's done the same. Dakota Hudson, his last start, you know, gets you a lot of innings. And so far, Jack Flaherty as a starter this year hasn't really munched up the innings that he's probably had to to keep the bullpen safe. I'm just worried how much can the bullpen take of not Jack Flaherty per se individually but if the starting pitchers don't get deep enough into that especially with the injuries right now
8: well last night was concerning because Reyes and Cabrera to me were off limits and Chris Matt was going to give you innings Kaminsky was going to give you innings today's a little different story because you can go back to some of those guys that we could not see uh last night so You've got Oviedo going in Game Two. Wainwright has come up uh, ribs when you've you've needed him most. It, it just seems like his spot comes up when the Cardinals need him most. And I, I was doing the numbers with this, or at least looking back on the schedule when the Cardinals need him. First game back, 17-day layoff. You're taking on the White Sox. You have no idea what the team is going to look like. You got a doubleheader. What does he do? Gives you five innings, two hits. One earned run, picks up a win. The Cardinals had lost five straight, and it was a couple against Pittsburgh in that doubleheader. They had lost the first two games against Cleveland. One of those games was a blowout. It was a Saturday game against the Indians, which was extra innings. And then what does he do on his birthday? He gives you nine innings, four hits, two earned runs, and a win. The Cardinals had lost back-to-back games, including an opener in Chicago. What does he do in a doubleheader? Goes six and a third, six hits, two earned runs and a win so with adam wainwright one of the things that he has done even without his best stuff he will find a way to make an adjustment doesn't always happen in his career sometimes he gets knocked out early and we'll see what happens today maybe he's got great stuff sometimes he doesn't have his best stuff but he'll make an adjustment on the fly and that's what great pitchers do they find a way to make an adjustment again doesn't happen all the time it's something i'm sure that jack will learn and and you know to take it back to jack just for a moment one of the things that the cardinals were very cautious with and you got to remember going back to even last year in the nlcs so if you go back to when he was pitching he had had a game in the nlcs he made a few starts in spring training And then, basically, it was starting from scratch in summer camp, then the shutdown. They were going to be very cautious with him and build him back up. So, they knew when he was going to make starts, the bullpen was going to be asked to get a lot of innings. So, not all of this should be put on him. And the other thing, too, I think expectations were so high coming off of his second half of last season, they're probably too high. The expectations were like, okay, it's Jack Flaherty's start. Everybody take a day off. He's going to give you eight or nine innings. It's not going to happen. The expectations were skyrocketed with him, and, and that's to his credit. He was awesome last year. He's really good. He's not going to be great every time. It just yesterday, he wasn't very good. And, and I would expect him in five days to be better than what he what, what we saw last night.
5: Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. Dan, I, I saw a story yesterday from the Washington Post about Rob Manfred having some comments regarding the 16 team postseason and how it's likely to remain beyond 2020. Uh, he added that an overwhelming majority of owners have already endorsed that concept even before the pandemic took place. I'm curious, you you are a baseball lifer, you live and breathe this game. Do you like the idea of even in it. a non shortened season? You like the 16-game postseason. Or 16-team postseason.
8: I do. I, I love it, BK. And, you know, I'm I was i I'm a traditionalist at heart. So when they went to um, interleague play, I was like, ah, I don't know about this. And then I grew to really enjoy it. And then when they went to the wild card, I thought, ah, I don't think this is a good idea. And then when I saw it in play, I thought, man, this is a great idea because – when you think about it, baseball is such a long season, and your team can be out of it, especially prior to the wild card. I mean, your team could be out of it halfway through a season. And you're thinking, you know, what's the motivation as a fan to go to the ballpark? You might go to go watch your favorite player. Your son or daughter may want to go watch Ken Griffey Jr. or Jim Edmonds or whoever that favorite player is or that guy that's pitching. But that's your motivation to go. Or you're just going to enjoy a night at the ballpark. But if you're really there to go see the competition because your team is into it and in the race that's really fun. There's something on the line. And I think if you add in the, the, the fact that you have something on the line to go to the ballpark for, um, I think if you add more teams into it, I think it's a good thing. I really do. And now with what we're seeing in 2020, I think it's a good thing. I, I, I And you know I was saying this even prior to this. I thought when they decided to come back and they got the labor dispute settled, I, one of the first things I said was, man, I'm really disappointed That they didn't add more teams to postseason play, and I bet that they figure this thing out to add more teams into postseason play to add more revenue. And sure enough, they have done that. Not to say I'm a prognosticator on this, but they did it. And I do think it's added to the excitement of what we have here. For instance, the Cardinals, if this would have been what they originally had, they'd be out of it um with a short runway of of games left to play and where they're at in the standings they'd be out of it well this game today and this double header today means something for both uh the cardinals milwaukee cincinnati still into it and yes these teams are hovering around 500 i don't care it still means something the game is going to be watched by a lot of people that's a good thing for business and that's a good thing for just i think the excitement of the sport so I'm okay with it. I know traditionalists may not like it, but I think for the excitement of the sport, it's okay to have it. And you know, baseball's been around forever; it's been over a hundred years. And some people may frown upon it, but we have to change. We have to adapt, and I think it's a good thing.
5: Any word, Dan? Final thing for you on what the status is for Yadier Molina or Colton Wong going into this one today?
8: I've been digging. Uh, I have made some phone calls to Milwaukee. I've not heard. Um, And it's really tough, PK. You know, that's the one thing I really miss about not being with the team. There are so many things I miss not being around the team. So to answer your question, no, I have dug around. I've made some texts uh, or sent some texts, made some phone calls I have not heard Um, to the greater picture. Of not being around the team these are the things I would find out you know it's we can try to call these games off the monitors and when we're at home it's a lot easier to call the games believe me Um, but that's the beauty of when people say well this can be done you know it it, it can be done yeah we can present the game Um, it's not easy to do when they're on the road it's just trust me it's not but these are the little things that we can get that – because I would love to find out about, like, the brawl last night, or the near brawl, the socially distanced arguing is what <laughs> I like to call it, um, of, you know, who's talking. Like, we really don't know who is barking last night. At least I don't. I mean, we can guess that Yachty was upset at, at Player X, and maybe Craig Council and Mike Schilt were going back and forth, and uh, there's probably other people, John, clearly – but what was the genesis of this? Why Why were they? What was going on? We don't know those kind of things. And where's Wong in his situation? And how bad is the wrist or the hand of Yachty? We, we don't know those things. And I love getting the backstories of players, which adds to the broadcast. And, and to me, the game is about the players. Those are the things that we're missing out on this year. And I hope that we get back to that next year because it's very important in a slower-moving game like baseball to find out about the players. The game is about the players, and hopefully we can find out more about the players next year. Well, Dan,
5: we're looking forward to the game tonight, the doubleheader for the Cardinals, a big one with uh, Adam Wainwright on the mound coming up at 4 o'clock. He's the Cardinals broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mac weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right now. He is Danny Mac. Dan, thanks so much for the time, and We'll talk with you soon.
8: I love being on with you guys, and i got to admit, BK, you're always doing your homework. You and I were going back and forth, firing back texts last night, arguing with each other in a good-natured way, Yeah, very good-natured uh, way, and we have converted Rives into being the number one Cardinal fan, which is amazing <laughs> to me.
6: This is true, Danny Mac. You guys have... You're the biggest. You're the biggest Cardinal fan now, and and we're
8: excited to to understand that you put down a deposit for season tickets next year, which is great.
6: Yeah, yeah. As soon as they let us back in the building, I, I've got my my season tickets. I'm actually pretty sure he's going to
5: be Fred Bird in Friday night's game. From I what it. I understand, I love it.
6: I would take that role in a heartbeat.
8: I was. Do you know that I was Fred Bird one time? No way. Well, well, we all know that Fred Bird is real, but one time when Fred Bird was, we were on a Cardinal Caravan, and I said, I want to know what it's like to be Fred Bird, so I decided to do it for one, one of the caravan stops. It was amazing.
6: I've always wanted to do that, too. You just get to do whatever the heck you want. It's That's like complete anonymity. Was it was the i wanted to know
7: how what could i get away with and you can get away with anything it was awesome
5: disclaimer do not speak you're not supposed to do that that is the one thing you cannot get away with jamie you
8: can't speak but you can do anything you want it was awesome it was so much fun
5: dan enjoy the game tonight man we appreciate the time all right guys thanks you got it that is Zanny mac joining us here on 101 espn it's 12 your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers and officially licensed rolex jewelers nhl teams are ready to start shedding some salaries jamie Hopefully, that doesn't hurt the Blues' chances of being able to shed their salary. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
8: With
5: Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. This is going to be a fascinating offseason for a million different reasons, but one of them really came to light yesterday, Jamie. As I was going around Twitter, I saw. A comment from Darren Drager, our friend, one of the best NHL insiders in the business. And he said teams around the league are looking to unload salary. Here's what it sounded like.
8: I know that there's a number of teams that have stressed that they're going below that 81.5 cap, and As we've talked about before, there are at least a few teams that want to get it into the low 70s or lower. Um, I heard from a good source today that Arizona has basically said, look, um, anyone 25 or over, make an offer. And we're willing to listen. Well, that says a lot about the direction of the Arizona Coyotes and what their appetite is to to lower their payroll aggressively.
5: That was Darren Drager yesterday on TSN Radio in Vancouver. Listen, he's talking about Arizona there, but Arizona's not going to be the only team that views things this way. There will be other teams around the league, and I don't think it is also exclusive to the NHL. This could be the case in Major League Baseball. It could be the case in the NBA. We'll see what happens with those those leagues. But let's kind of focus here on the NHL and the Blues. If other teams, and there are multiple that are trying to shed their own salary this offseason jamie what does that mean for the blues as they try to unload salary to be able to bring back alex petrangelo in your mind
6: yeah it could be problematic you know there is a good handful of teams that are going to be stressed financially for sure um you know even here in st louis you you know this is a a cap team year after year after year and that's because the ownership and, and tom stillman you know they they pride themselves on giving the fans the best chance at a championship every year, but financially it's not like we're dealing with Mark Cuban here or one of those people who just pockets full of money. So yeah, there's teams that are going to have to shed some salary, and Arizona, they've been trying to do this for I don't know how many years, and how John Chayka got them to be a cap team, I think he did it by accident, and maybe that's why he left, And, and now he's left this mess to somebody else to take care of, but Yeah, it's going to be problematic. I think there's going to be, just like in Major League Baseball, like we decided or discussed a long time ago, there are certain teams that no matter what, they have the money to go acquire players. They have the money to sign free agents. And I think it's going to be the same thing in the NHL. The the Ranger-type teams, the Toronto Maple Leafs, some of the teams that have a lot of money. Detroit. Yeah, tons of money there. They're going to have the opportunity to go get players at a bargain price and maybe free agents who can't get signed anywhere else start taking deals from those teams because they'll get the most money there
3: well and I think I think it's going to be very scarce in terms of the free agency this year that teams are in on those big free agents and that's why the Petrangelo thing's so intriguing because you're not going to see 15 20 teams ready to throw all of the money because a lot of them are going to be taking that step back it's going to be 3 or 4 teams that are willing to spend the money but think of the free agents beyond Petro I mean Taylor Hall was trying to get
6: a done deal in Arizona there's not gonna be a lot of teams that are gonna be willing to give him yeah. more than six million dollars I think that ship has sailed because yeah. I think Arizona has decided yeah. and look they've been in bankruptcy I don't even know how many times the NHL has had to help they were it. supposed
5: to move to Kansas City like seven times they <laughs> were supposed
6: to move every other year they didn't even have a rank and then the NHL was running their team and now they look like they have some good ownership but obviously the the, the new ownership is identifying the fact that hey we're in the red here this is yep. not good And they're going to cut costs. So Taylor Hall getting signed to a big deal in Arizona, I think, is highly unlikely. You know who's going to get paid, though? Goaltenders.
3: Because you got three or four big names out there with Leonard, Holtby, and Jacob Markstrom, and then Marc-Andre Fleury possibly on the trade market. Those are the guys that are going to get paid because teams will shed salary other places so that they can pay goaltenders because that's what's going to win you hockey. Games. Jamie
5: mentioned this last night in our text with one another. And yes, we do talk off air. We actually do like each other, even though it might not sound sure. that way here on the air. Tell anybody that uh, Jamie mentioned this last night off the air. And I thought it was a good point. It's the middle class that's going to get oh. crushed. It's the mid-tier player. And I always bring up this guy because I feel like he's been on in free agency and baseball for the last decade. Mike Moustakis got crushed by the new baseball baseball system and how teams just don't want to give out these long-term deals anymore. That's going to be hockey this year. The guy that would typically get 5 million might get two this time around. The guy that would typically get three years might get one year this time around. And so we'll see if that picks back up next off season. But for right now, that looks like it's going to be the case. And it brings me back to Tyler Bozak here in St. Louis. He's the guy that we've been talking about so much. He's got one year left, $5 million on his contract It makes the most sense for the Blues to ship him out to be able to keep Alex Petrangelo to open up that cap space that they need. However, if you're looking at the free agency market and you could get a guy that is similar, maybe not equivalent, maybe doesn't have a cup the way that Tyler Bozak does, but similar to him and you could get him for one and a half, two million dollars, or you could give up an asset for Tyler Bozak and pay him five million dollars that seems like it could make things a little more difficult for the blues as well
6: well what what's gonna happen here is the five million dollar player is going to become the three million dollar player a three million dollar player is gonna become a million and a half dollar player so to your point is uh, to some extent why would somebody go trade for a five million dollar player when he can go sign a five million dollar player for three million yep and maybe they give up the asset yeah and not give up the asset or take on a contract userman I in Detroit, he has a ton of cap space that he's cleared out, and he's got a lot of room to bring guys in. And uh, we know the Red Wings, the Ellich family, have very deep pockets. I could see Eisenman making a big splash and taking Detroit from the basement to the penthouse really quickly. And you know, maybe guys like Petrangelo and Hull. Get signed there. Maybe he starts building this roster because he's got the financial means to do it. That's where I think it's going to get interesting is watching which teams are willing to dive into the pockets, knowing that overall they're taking a loss.
5: I also think maybe a team like that could be interesting for Tyler Bozak. Maybe instead of them having to give up an asset like they typically would in an offseason, maybe it's the Blues having to sweeten the pot and saying, hey, we'll add in this third-round pick that we've got along with Tyler Bozak, and we'll take on that prospect that you don't really think is going to be an NHL player. It's basically a salary dump, but to make things work, the Blues are able to take on that prospect. They put him down in the minors. Maybe two years from now, he's out of the system entirely. And the Red Wings get a draft pick for the right to pay Tyler Bozak for a year because they don't have any concerns with the salary cap the way that the Blues do.
6: Yeah, well, look, one thing you got to remember about Steve Iserman, that Tampa Bay Lightning team that is crushing it right now, 98% of that team was all of Steve Iserman. There are a couple of guys that are in there that weren't there a couple of years ago. But Steve Eiserman built that team from the ground up. All of them were young players. So I do think he has the ability to go after some veteran guys to solidify his locker room. But overall, Stevie's going to try and build a championship team rather quickly, as he did it in, what, two or three years in Tampa.
5: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Are we sure? Let's play a game of it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to
1: the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: is the Air Comfort Service tax Slam for Are We Sure? Jamie, are we sure? that Bill Armstrong is going to be around next year. According to Elliot Friedman, Bill Armstrong is confirmed as the Arizona GM. He was the assistant GM here in St. Louis. It sounds like he is going to be moving on to Arizona. Huge congrats to Bill Armstrong. There's only 31 of these jobs. Tough to get them. So congrats to him on being able to get that opportunity, even though it sounds like that could be a very difficult gig (laughs) for the time being, (laughs) given what we were just talking about.
6: Yeah, look, he's, he's put in his time. I mean, he really has. He, he left the game uh, in the American Hockey League, became an assistant coach, then the head coach of the American Hockey League, worked his way up to scouting, to director scout. I mean, just follow the ladder that he's worked his way up. And it's nice to see that a guy who's put that much time and effort into uh, doing something in the game of hockey, now he's going to get a chance. And like you said, it's going to be a heck of a job. It's going to be a burden almost at first. It, I tell you what, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a very difficult baptism into being a general manager, but he's been around some great guys that have worked with him, uh, and Doug Armstrong being one of them. So, which by the way, no relation to each other. <laughs> yes. People always say, is that his brother? His son? Yeah, no. They just happen to have the same last name. But I wish him well. He should do well. He's a good guy. It'll be interesting to see what he, how he
3: does because he he was a great um, prospect evaluator as the director. Incredible. Of That's why scouting. the Blues
6: are where they are right now is I because mean, he's amazing at spotting young talent. All of the players and where the Blues
3: draft and not being top five or top 10 and him pulling out that talent that might be what arizona needs i was about to say entry-level yeah. contracts
6: with good players so he, he, he's gonna <laughs> be <Sheep laughs> labor all of it please yeah.
3: <laughs> he's gonna be like yarmo kekalainen in columbus where he goes out there and he's able to draft phenomenal for that team and help that team back in the postseason uh so uh, good luck to bill because he's such an awesome guy to to, to kind of pay attention to and talk with when it comes to prospects
5: voice of the blues chris carver will join us coming up at one We'll ask him about what that means for the Blues moving forward. But let's play a game of Are We Sure? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Jamie, I want to hear from our guy Brett Favre. He was on SiriusXM's NFL channel, and he was talking about Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and the entire situation. I've got an Are We Sure relating to this.
4: I think the last person you want to call out after the first game of the year is Tom Brady. Now, maybe they they had a mutual truce going into the game going into the season hey I, you know I'm gonna be hard on you I want the guys to know that we're gonna treat you the same even though technically I'm not so are you okay with it if, if they have that truce great if not I, I, I think you're barking up the wrong tree dissension uh, could easily uh, enter quickly
6: okay so did Brett Favre just get finished smoking a stogie <laughs> Or, uh, That's just how he sounds nowadays. Like, was that Brett Favre or was that a Marlboro commercial? <laughs> I was like waiting for like the, the hack in there too. So anyway, sorry, BK. Are we sure that this relationship is going to be as smooth as
5: we all thought it was going to be? I loved the idea of Tom Brady pairing up with Bruce Arians with those weapons down in Tampa Bay at the beginning. Are we sure it's going to go the way we thought it was going to?
6: Yeah, it's an interesting take by, by Brett Favre there because I've been involved in those situations uh, and coming up the ranks and in junior where you're, you know, the top player or one of the leaders and the coach the GM comes in and says hey listen I'm going to call you out here in the next couple weeks. We're going to find a reason to call you out because two things. One, it establishes that we're going to have law and order in this locker room that we're going to have. There's nobody that's better than the other. And two, it establishes your credibility, too, that you can take some you can take criticism just like everybody else. And you can go back to work the next day and not cause a problem. So that'd be interesting to know if they have that agreement. I'm not sure. I mean leaning towards the fact that it might be Now that we haven't heard anything back from Brady On this it's almost like Yeah maybe it was planned But yeah to to the, the original point um, Tom Brady, yeah, he is the last guy he'd want to call out. So what was the are we sure again? That was it. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure as well. It's what I said
3: yesterday. I, I wonder if this is just a strategy between Arians and Brady to where this is just how you fire up a Hall of Fame you quarterback. You didn't say that yesterday. I did. Both of you looked at me you and said. You barely
6: talked for the first two hours. Both of you said Foyle <laughs> Ferrario. Shut up. You didn't say this. I'll, I'll pull the damn You're, tape. I want audio for sure. I will sure. pull the damn he tape. You didn't say. You know it, VK. Look, he laughed over there. I did say
3: it. I pulled the damn tape. I uh, said I said this yesterday, so I'm You're sure. You're in tinfoil world.
5: I do not love the way that this is starting out. I know that earlier my guy Steve Palazzolo came on and he was like, hey, everybody's freaking out over nothing. Tom Brady was actually good.
6: All right, Steve Oh, now that he's gone hey, All right, Steve I watched the tape Which, by the way Yeah did, Last week, when we had Sean Salisbury on Uh-huh Sean Salisbury was listening to us on the app And then you went on afterwards And you were like I disagree with Sean Salisbury I Talk, did He texted me this long thing <laughs> He wasn't mad He was on. it was awesome And he said I, He actually said I, I should come on more often But yeah, he was listening That's after. awesome Yeah I love it I, I think Sean's
5: awesome I, I, I disagreed with his Take on that, but I think Sean's one of the best in the business. Frankly, I think Steve is one of the best in the business. And that brings us back to Tom Brady. (laughs) I I didn't like what I saw in week one. And honestly, it was more about what I heard after than it was what I saw on the field. told you guys this yesterday, and I did say this. You can pull the tape on this one. I'm less I'm less concerned about what I saw from Tom Brady than what I saw from Drew Brees. I think they're going to get it turned around. But this bickering back and forth that I've heard throughout the week afterwards, that's what's concerning to me. All right, speaking of bickering back and forth, I did pull some tape. Jamie, you went behind my back
6: yesterday. You did a podcast with Jeff Burton. That's not really behind your back. It's a staple. Well, give me a second here. (laughs) It's a a 101 staple, along with 105.7 The Point.
5: And you can get it on 101ESPN.com or the 101ESPN app. Donnie and Jeff's Last Minute Blues podcast. You went on with them. Ferrario was on with them too. I had to hear from Jeff Burton that apparently my name got brought up. I went to us all the time. Well, it certainly did this time and I got bashed on your podcast. Let's give it a listen. Chris Pronger by the way really opened my eyes to the
6: fact that it can be a cold hard business, but you can also spe- still be a good dude. And yeah. by the way, BK calling him prongs, I had a problem with that. <laughs> you calling
3: him prongs, fine. But the prongs, 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 I was like. He still I, intimidates the hell out of me. I call him
6: Mr. Pronger. Yeah, we'll, uh, absolutely. We'll, we'll address that today. And uh,
5: Jeff doesn't ever Please. get bothered. He's, bother- I He's bothered. I am very bothered He's usually just hot and hot. Yeah.
6: <laughs> I asked him to take a couple of days off, to be honest with
5: you. Are we sure I'm allowed to call Chris Pronger prongs? I got to be honest with you. After I said it, I had I, I talked to Jeff about this off. After I said it I had the same reaction I was like did I just Did I just call Chris Pronger prongs Why did I do that I got lost in the moment there For a second
6: yeah look It happens Uh, ordinarily the The unwritten rule Right is that only Teammates or players call each other by Their names and sometimes too There's wives and girlfriends that decide That hey after the game oh hey 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 Ribs, what are you guys doing and it's Like no 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 it's, it's Jamie like no nicknames for that. And so, for people who aren't friends with somebody, yeah, I'm not initiated th- into the fraternity. You're not. And you're, then you're dropping Holly, you're dropping Chief, you're dropping Prongs. You're- I never once called him Chief. <laughs> wow, well, I think you have, actually. Yeah, I, I think, think we, can actually that we can find audio. We can check
3: audio. I, seriously, though, I do call him Mr. Pronger. And he tells me all the time it's Chris or it's Prongs because he scares the hell out of me. But what bothers me are when people call coaches coach when they ask questions. Have you ever heard b- that?
6: I don't. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, because it's there's a fine line, right? Like you don't want to say, "Hi, Mr. Baruby, will you answer my question?" And you don't necessarily feel like you're friends with them enough to say, "Hey, Craig." Like he hasn't said, "Hey, call me Craig" yet. So you say, uh, you know, "Hey, Coach." Yeah. I even say it sometimes as you know a, a sign of respect, like Coach. You know, what are and, we looking always, at here? It
3: always made me uncomfortable because it's like you're not my coach, and he's probably looking at you like, "Why the hell are you calling me Coach, kid?"
6: No, they they know. I think it's universal that you call him Coach. Yeah. You're you're respecting his position position and you're identifying him as what he is the you nicknames
3: know? I, I hear guys do that in the locker room all the time and players usually i guess prefer that but when yeah. it's pronger and he intimidates you it's like yeah yeah whatever you say mr well, pronger the difference, BK was, I,
6: was like whatever prongs yeah
3: <laughs> prongs I, I,
6: I don't believe your opinion yeah uh, don't you know i'm bk yeah. prongs
3: <laughs> <laughs> by the way can we go back to to rivs calling me out because i found tape boys uh, of you what? found tape? Uh, Bruce Arians, where I said it
6: yesterday. All right. You already found oh, yeah. that? He, he was so mad I was and so he found tape. Apparently so we have off. tape.
3: But yeah, I wonder know. if Arians is trying to, to try some type of method that he thinks is going to work on this guy that might come back and bite him in the rear end. But I mean, why else would you be calling out a six time Super Bowl champion after one game?
6: Okay, so what we're saying is completely different, actually Because Whoa. we're saying Yeah, it is Actually, if you go back and actually pull the audio from our own show that just happened We said that maybe it was planned by both sides that they have this agreement And you're saying, you know, maybe Bruce Arians is just trying to, you know Show Calling him. them out, though Call him out. So we're actually not saying the same thing. You're saying Apple. I'm saying orange. 65780 is the
5: Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. You guys need to check the tape segment. I feel like we need a listen to the show segment for Ferrario. sometimes. It's like, listen, did, did you hear what we just said or no? No? Okay.
6: Good to have you back. We got a good question real quick. six five seven eight zero from the six, three, six. Hey, rivers. Okay. I guess it's rivers now. Um, I agree with you on your stance on calling people by their nicknames, but what about Riz? Am I supposed to call him Scott or Rizzuto? Well, no, cause that would be like it, Riz is his like stage name, his celebrity name. And that's what they use on the show. It'd be like going up to call, I don't know, like Prince, right? By his real name.
5: Got to call an Anthony Stalter, Anthony Stalter. It's, it's Andy Slater. We all
6: know this. It's clearly Andy Slater. So for people who have a show uh, in the, some kind of entertainment industry, if they identify as that name like Riz does for the Rizzuto show, then I think you got the green light to call him Riz. OK,
5: so I, w- what I have learned here in this segment is I was absolutely correct in calling Chris Brown. No,
6: you drove right <laughs> through a red light.
5: With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We got to dive into the junk drawer, including one of the best comments of the week. It comes from John Gruden. We'll tell you about it coming up next. We're back to the ribs
1: and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie, I was listening to John Gruden yesterday talk about his team's week one victory over the Carolina Panthers, and there was one thing in particular that really bothered him. Apparently, Derek Carr used a certain somebody's name as his new audible call. Take a listen.
1: I didn't notice any crowd noise yesterday. I even heard my wife's name on TV. Derek used my wife's name in one of his audibles, so it must not have been that loud. Uh, still trying to figure out why Cindy Gruden came up during the game. <laughs> Got to look into that. <laughs>
6: That's awesome. That is awesome. If that's the ultimate troll job by Derek Carr on that one to see what his coach is paying attention to or not. I love it. I actually now I want to hear the end of the story. I got to fight. I got to find out why he used that. How that became the new audible call for Derek Carr. Do you think he said did he say Cindy or did he say Cindy Gruden? You think?
5: Oh, it's got to be just Cindy, right? Cindy, right? You can't you can't go with the full Cindy Gruden. That would be like me calling Chris Pronger, Chris Pronger. You just got to go prong. There,
6: yeah, clearly. Clearly, now, do you think that uh, Derek Carr, if he's asked about it, says, Oh, no, coach, it's a whole other Cindy.
5: Oh, it gotta be, and right? then he doubles down on it. And next week, he uses like his daughter's name, yeah, right? He just but, keeps
6: rotating different names because now he's like, Oh boy, he got that, or does he own it and say, Yeah, I thought it'd be funny. Derek Carr seems like the
5: type of guy that'll try to squirm out of it.
6: Derek Carr seems like the type of guy That doesn't really have a lot of job security yeah. He should probably not be calling any play By the, the head coach's I wife love it. Name. I love it Alright so We have been going round and round and round About Tom Brady in week one And he's just not the same Blah 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 And we brought up his pregame ritual where he's no longer, I guess, having uh, afternoon delights with his wife, Giselle. That might be a problem. Guys, I think I may have found the the problem behind all of this. When Tom Brady went down to Tampa, we were all in awe of St. Jetersburg, the house that he Mm -hmm. is renting from Derek Jeter, which, by the way, is phenomenal. It's like a small city. It's so big and amazing. Well, it turns out that um, Derek Jeter may have been playing a fast one on Tom Brady. And here's what I'm talking about, that once Brady moved in and once all these social media posts have been going on and and really brought a lot of attention to the house, Derek said, you know what? I think I'm going to sell the place. No way. Yes. It was so, a publicity stunt. That may be, right? So now St. Jetersburg is listed at a very, very friendly $29 million. Oh! And uh, he had placed it on the market before, and it didn't really get a lot of attention. Oh, but there's now, so, many, so many people that could buy a house for $29 million. That's a good point. A very narrow uh, selection there. But now since Tom Brady has lived there, it's gotten more attention, more attention. So, yeah, Derek Jeter has it listed for $29 million right now, and apparently they had to work out some kind. Of an agreement to where he won't Show the house while Brady is Actually there but nonetheless guys That's a big inconvenience Anybody who's ever sold their house being a hey we got to Show the house tomorrow we got to show the house Tuesday Everybody's got to get out especially if you're Brady And family he's got kids that's the thing Right like
5: you got to keep it clean the entire Time because if you're showing it it's not like You're going to have a situation where you've got The bottle on the um, Pantry You've got Cereal sitting out You've got last
6: night's pizza and the Like you can't have any of that stuff Now mind you I'm sure that Tom and Giselle Who makes more than he does Oh you think they can afford a housekeeper They might have someone who just walks around after the kids And cleans up all the time Bigger selling point
5: for Derek Jeter The fact that Tom Brady lived there Or the fact that Giselle lived there Depends who your buyer is. Good point. That's what you I could, think. Sell you could
6: sell either. Could sell either. Do you figure out that angle quickly, and that's the one you go with? By the way, we do
5: have confirmation from Anthony Stalter. Derek Carr said, "Cindy Gruden." Oh, he said Cindy Gruden. He didn't just say Cindy. He said Cindy Gruden on the broadcast. Stalt diving Woo. deep, for, deep for the breaking news on that one. He, he went into the coach's film for that. He did. He was for watching sure. the all twenty-two. He's got inside
6: people. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal in Bristol. You know, he knows a lot of people. Did, did he go there?
5: I, I heard something about that Yeah, he used to go there You heard something about that? <sighs> he used to watch the games I think it was with Ryan Clark Pretty yeah. sure. Th- I'm pretty sure they're buddies
6: Every Tuesday he can walk in and be himself Hey guys, uh, it's Anthony here Yeah, I know, I, you missed me yesterday I was in Bristol, ESPN campus Last
5: thing to throw into the junk drawer uh, The other day, I, don't, I think this was when you were out, Jamie we, oh, here talked- we go, now a shot at me We talked about the uh, Jalapeno Noir that Taco Bell has added to the menu They have a new wine up in Canada Your neck of the woods, Jamie That they are going to be offering to their clientele Okay, it's a jalapeno oh, yeah, noir the pairing wine or something yep. like this It goes with one of their meals And it's apparently $25 You can add it to your meal Well, they're not the only one that is diving into the new Alcoholic ventures Red Lobster is also throwing their name into the ring They now have do Garitas Mountain Dew margaritas are now going to be an option for you as you endure your Red Lobster meal. You can add a Dew margarita, a Dew-garita, if you will. Yeah. You interested in this? No. Which one are you more likely to have, the Taco Bell wine or the Dew-garita, if you will? Yeah. You interested in this? No. Which one are you more likely to have, the Taco Bell wine or the Dew-garita? I'm not a margarita
6: guy, so. Really? Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, yeah, no. That's surprising to me. Really? Yeah. Not surprising. No, I'm, I'm just not a fancy kind of drink thing. No salt on the rim and that stuff. No, just give me a glass. Give me the liquor. Let's get going here. You know, that's that's the way I am. So the the red wine would uh, or the wine rather would uh, would certainly be more my pick. Now, I have a separate question. OK, how many times do you go to Taco Bell and eat in? Oh, never. Never. OK, so now for pairing wines with this, are we not now drinking and driving? Well, you can take liquor
5: now to go here in St. Louis, so I would I imagine,
6: but you're not serving it as a drive-through item, right? It's like they're you're selling take... the bottles though, rather than like the it glasses. Just of it. Yeah. I wonder. I just wonder. I worry about my friends at Taco Bell, and I worry about third-party liability and all this. I mean, out here in St. Louis, you
5: can go to whatever your favorite restaurant is, grab a drink, and they'll give it to you to go as well.
3: I yeah. worry about I... people buying jalapeno noir. <laughs> you got something wrong with you if you're buying that. Yeah, they may go through you quickly. It's like beet roots or something like that in there. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's an interesting. Don't
5: ooh.
3: Easy with the
6: shots at Taco Bell. Open, yeah, it, bro. Shots at Taco Bell, more at beets and He's jalapeno more. still mad more. about his Aryan's thing.
3: I wasn't listening to you, Ribs. <laughs>
5: with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. BT's off today, but he's going to join us coming up next. We want to hear from him what he made of the out-of-air Molina situation yesterday. I know Jamie's got quite a few follow up questions. We'll talk
1: about it with BT next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
8: So the Cardinals
5: got into a bit of a tizzy last night. Wanna talk things over with our guy Brad Thompson. He's Cardinals broadcaster, co-host of The Fast Land, which you can hear weekdays right here on 101 ESPN from two to six o'clock. BT, how you doing today, man? I am doing
7: all right, fellas. How you guys doing?
5: Oh, we are doing fantastic. BT joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. So let's talk a little bit celebrity. about what in the world wow. happened last night because we talked about this in our open today. Yadi or Molina getting into it a bit and being upset about what happened with Ryan Braun, and then Schilt coming in to back him up. What did you make of the scene that we saw, and the thing that a lot of people are kind of honing in on after the fact is uh, Schilt not removing Yadi from the game in that spot?
7: Yeah, well, I'll start with the just initially like, like thoughts overall. My my first thought is just. Frustration in general is was kind of bubbling over at, at that point. So initially, uh, you know, before he ended up getting hit there on the catcher's interference, the game is twelve to two. You got the bases loaded with Ryan Braun up, and uh, Braun is chirping about pitches. He's talking to the umpire. Uh, home plate umpire and, and telling him basically, hey, just because he gets pissed off doesn't mean it's a strike. Talking about Yachty, because Yachty obviously was getting in there on the umpire a little bit. So they had a little bit of a back and forth. And then, you know, once Yachty got hit on the hand, you, you know he's pissed anyhow about that. It hurts. And uh, in 2020, I think you're hearing a little bit of everything. So as he walked off to see if he was okay, he did wander towards the dugout. That's the way he went, the, the Brewers dugout. I think he heard a little bit more than he wanted to hear from somebody over there. Certainly, uh, as Mike Schilt approached, Schilt, heard a lot, and he thought it was directed towards him. Basically, what I'm saying is I think it was a lot of raw emotion in a game where guys are just upset, angry, know what's on the line, know how much they've been playing. I don't think that there's much more to it you know, than that aspect of it. And from the side of keeping Yachty in that game and letting him continue to play – that's the reason that everyone loves Yachty so much. Honestly, it, for me, and this is just me, everybody has their, their their feelings. He did go on to play two more innings, took his next at-bat uh, after taking that, that bat off of his hand. That's why I appreciate Yachty so much because he is the the fighter. And for me, that pumps up a team. When your guy goes out there and he keeps doing stuff like that, and I would think that Jamie would probably echo some of this. Sometimes you it, it if you don't understand it, you're never going to understand it. That's how the way the way I feel of just kind of toughness in general in, in in athletics. But I was fine with it.
6: Yeah, BT, I was too, and I totally understand what you're talking about. We talked about it earlier in the show too that that could be the spark that you know helps this team get through you know the double header today, and maybe moving forward, they look back and go, you know what, that that moment there is very pivotal to our season. Um, now, I want to back it up, though, PT, because, look, I'm the hockey background guy, right? So I know how fights start in hockey, and I know how things get boiling over, and I know what brawls are. But baseball fighting and what happened last night, like, I don't really understand some of it. And so I want to go back to Yachty is, like Mike Schilt said, this is only the second time in his career he's been called for catcher interference. Okay, so how does that happen? How does Yachty stick his hand all the way out there? Is the batter too far back in the box? If he is, why is the ump not calling it? Why is Yachty not pointing it out? Like, how does it begin? How does Yachty even get hit on that play?
7: Yeah, look, it's a a very freak thing in general when it does happen. And you can see, I mean, there are hitters at times that will, like, drag the bat back there and just kind of pray for a little something. I don't think that that's what Braun was doing in that sense. But Braun does have a really long backswing anyhow that ends up catching him. And a lot of times, just in general, when a catcher gets the catcher's interference, he's trying to get up there a little bit quicker to make a pitch a strike, right? So, like, kind of catch it way out in front. So, but before it ends up breaking or before it ends up getting out of the strike zone, that's oftentimes how that, that'll happen when you get your glove in there. So, that part of it, just in general, is kind of more of a, a freak thing. It wasn't necessarily something that Braun was doing or has been doing, and it wasn't necessarily something that Yachty is doing and does a lot. It was just that, you know, two worlds combined right there where Yachty's trying to get out there and get one and braun has got that long swing and catches him. So that's kind of how that one happened.
6: All right, so then we follow that up to, like you said, Yachty's hurt, and he's probably pretty ticked off, and then he starts marching towards the Brewers' dugout. Now, at what point now in a baseball world – are we thinking, okay, time to come off the benches here, time to cue the cue the guys from the bullpen to come running all the way in and jump in on, on this? And then what's the thought there? Like, are you guys actually thinking, like, it's go time? Like, one guy looks at me cross-eyed, he's going down, or is this just like, oh, we're going to congregate and hopefully nothing happens?
7: Like you know, so speaking from a a bullpen side of things, you generally know in the back of your head that it's probably not going to be a full out battle. Okay, you're you're not expecting the Royal Rumble, but the adrenaline gets going a little bit, and you think maybe just maybe this could happen, so I'm going to be ready, right? So I, I know people. a lot of people laugh at the idea of, like, bullpens coming in, but think about this. Think about it. If your team did actually get into a fight and think about you not being there, like how awful that would look, and then you're late to the party. You always got to be there for your group, whether it's eyewash or not of everybody coming in. And I also do understand the sentiment of people saying, well, if you really wanted to fight, why not fight the other bullpen on the way in?
6: Oh, I, I That it. would be cool. That would be run, run right over to their bullpen and just start throwing. Just, just <laughs> each, each side picks their,
7: their, their counterpart, right, and goes after it. Might be cool, okay? Feel it be like a cage a match in changing. there. It could happen, Cruz right? Chris Matt should have uh, just but, gone but straight
5: but over to Hater, and that was just the matchup that we could have seen last <laughs> night.
7: Who wants some? Yeah, I, I, I like that idea, too. But as far as, like, knowing when to do it, look, as soon as you see one of your guys, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Yadier Molina, but as soon as you see a toe-to-toe, both teams are very quick to react and be out there because it's not like hockey. Like, these guys aren't, aren't going to go fist to cuffs, and then as soon as somebody hits the ground, we'll pull them off. Uh, that doesn't work. Although I think Mike Shannon was calling for that a couple of years back. <laughs> and he might have something there because uh, there's only so many times where you throw at somebody and maybe get your butt kicked that you do it again. So maybe there's something there in the future. But as soon as you see, you know, your your guy going out there and it gets heated, everybody's going to end up in the mix. And the problem is sometimes is when you have a wild card, right? When you have the guy that just wants to murder everybody on a (laughs) team. So, uh, like, Yasiel Puig might be a good example. When he tried to fight the entire Pirates team. Amir Garrett also tried to fight the entire Pirates team. We had a guy... uh, We had a guy, Ron Valone. I don't know if you guys remember Ron Valone, but RV uh, was a huge, big jack, left-handed reliever, and we got in a fight against, lo and behold, actually, the Pirates. The Pirates are a pain in the ass, apparently. Everybody wants a piece of them. But RV had to be held back by, like, four guys going after Doug Mankiewicz, and he wouldn't stop. Like, so uh, we had, uh, well, little Skippy was in front of him, but Skip's strong. And I think Jason Isringhausen and, and Jeff Murphy was our bullpen catcher who's strong as an ox and RV was still gaining ground. <laughs> so those are the guys that like, you have to worry about in a baseball spat. But I will tell you this, like, uh, all that stuff, like you're going to play two games uh, again today. You got seven more games against these freaking guys, and it, it can end up getting monotonous through through some of it. This will create a little bit of a spark. There's no question. I wanted to ask, you
5: know, we're talking to Brad Thompson, Cardinals broadcaster and co-host of the Fastlane from 2-6 to right here on 101 ESPN. You'll see him on Cardinals pregame and postgame today for the doubleheader as well. I wanted to ask you about Yadier Molina because we talked about this a little bit with Danny Mack. I think he's one of the very few players, not only on the Cardinals, but in baseball, that can basically tell Mike Schultz, no, I'm not coming out of this game after what we saw last night. How many other guys around the league do you think have almost that sort of veto power where they get to decide, no, I'm staying in this game right now?
7: Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the things where most of your stars probably have something like that. Now, Yadi might not be your prototypical star. I'm not going to put him in the same conversation as Mike Trout when it comes to production just in general. Uh, but stuff like that is earned, and it's earned because you do everything, everything the right way. You work your tail off. You battle. You fight for your team. And there are situations like that. And I think that Adam Wainwright got, has has ultimately kind of gotten to that point as well. When he's on, obviously. If he's not, you gotta you gotta you know pull the hook every once in a while. But when you get into a game where he's like, "Hey, I, I don't want to hear about it. I got this. Leave me alone," and I got this. And you, as a manager and as a pitching coach, you said. Okay, he's got this, you know, let's see what happens. But, no, he really does. He does have that. He he has a lot of sway and a lot of say on what he's doing. And I'm sure that even the days where he gets an off day, Yachty's probably not super happy about that. But I'll tell you what, a manager would love to have, now that there's a 26-man roster, 26 guys that come to the ballpark with that same idea, that same work ethic, and that same just want to fight you if they're not in there now, it could get uncomfortable for 162. <laughs> but that's the kind of guy that you want.
6: All right, BT, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, is there carryover? Into today's game from last night's shenanigans, I'm still stuck on that, and and I'm looking at based on what you said, you know, Yachty is like he's the guy, right? He's the engine for this team, the captain. Wayno certainly in that group too, and that's where I want to go with it. Is Wayno's got the mound tonight, and Ryan Braun gets up there? Is Wayno buzzing the tower on him, or is he putting one right between the shoulder blades on Braun?
7: I I don't think he's doing. uh, I don't think he's doing either one, honestly. Not even uh, buzzing the tower, just a little bit. Probably not, not unless you need to just get him off of something. Like, if there's a purpose, if you feel like Braun is... By the way, uh, there, there should have been a little bit more purpose last night, specifically with Jack Flaherty early, because hitters looked super comfortable and nobody was moving off the plate. So, I mean, if you feel like you got to come up and in just to get him out, down and away... I can see that, but right now, I mean, if you look at this central. There's a race for second place. I mean, the Cardinals are sitting here. I think it's five games back. The Reds are five and a half, and the uh, the Brewers are six games back. The beauty of baseball, and this one is, is like I, I love it. I love the fact that you can be pissed off about something, and then you can get your get back the following year by dotting somebody. Like like it's just a long memory type thing. Now. So I don't think that we'll see the buzzing the tower aspect of it because it's a little too on the nose. And by the way, if Adam Wainwright did that in a ball game, you know that the umpires are already gonna be ready for something. If he hit Braun in his first at bat and got kicked out of the game, you know what, what a mess this program oh, would yeah, be in right. and a mess this team would be in. You <laughs> have to be careful, right? Like with with the with the way that you go about things. But I still think that there's going to be a heightened sense of awareness in the ballgame in general. So whether it's a bang-bang play at first or it's a slide into second base, like, I just feel like there's going to be a little extra in both these ballgames.
5: He's BT. You can see him on pre and post tonight. Fox Sports Midwest, Cardinals broadcaster and co-host of the Fastlane weekdays from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. BT, we look forward to watching you tonight, and we'll uh, talk with you again tomorrow.
7: Sounds good. If you see Stalter, Ranji, meet, you didn't hear from me today, okay? I got the day
5: off. Deal. Okay, from what I understand, you're on vacation. We'll talk with you soon, BT. See you, Phillip. You got it. That's BT joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 118, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I do want to continue with what you had just asked, Brad Thompson, Ueno cannot go high and inside. He cannot buzz the tower. He cannot hit Ryan Braun. That can't be something that they try to do today. Plus, do you have any fear of last night becoming a multi-game issue? I'm not talking about the contention between the two teams. I'm talking about how they got blown out last night. We'll talk about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: Missed it, we just were able to catch up with Brad Thompson, BT, former Cardinal, World Series champion, Fox co-host Sports of Midwest. the Fast Lane, Cardinal Broadcaster.
6: It was amazing. He's see, always honestly, amazing. I texted him at I don't even know what time. So really close to midnight. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he appreciated that. But just said he's doing a great job. The way he breaks it down, like especially for baseball experts like myself, I recognize talent like that. So BT, keep up the great work. For baseball experts like
5: myself, I recognize talent. Let that one sink in for a moment. All Might right. be the quote of the day. We were able to catch up with him about the Cardinals, and you asked him an interesting question. Do you think that Adam Wainwright is going to buzz the tower on Ryan Braun in his first appearance today? His answer was no, and he continued by saying basically, listen, if you do that, you're probably getting booted from the game because they're going to issue warnings right at the beginning of this game. That's what they should do. That's what they'll be expecting to do. Wayno cannot go high, go inside on Ryan Braun. He can't do that with any sort of purpose because if he were to get thrown from this game, you got another one right after. You're already with a depleted bullpen. You've got another doubleheader on Friday as well. This team is struggling to make it through the season with their their pitchers as is. You can't have the guy that's supposed to stop the bleeding in Wayno, the guy that has been the ace for you all season long, getting booted after two batters in this one.
6: <laughs> well, that was my hockey player mentality. I was like, okay, first shift, we're going. And then then you think about it, and it's like, yeah, Wayno probably, who's been your best pitcher so far um, overall with the innings that he's managed to pitch, uh, you don't want him headed straight out. Then was- you know where my brain went after that? I was like, you know what? What if they start Reyes? And just let this guy unleash a little bit. You, well, know, you, don't, he's got, you don't want him getting suspended because that dude's important. I think you could actually, you could you could probably legally defend him. He has control problems. Yeah. We've seen it before. You know who the guy would be? Throw at the mascot. No,
3: you let Nabil Chrismat <laughs> you, you know, throw at the, you buzz the Kaminsky. tower a little bit. Or One Kaminsky or Woodford. You let those guys buzz okay, the can tower. Can we talk
6: about Kaminsky? Not good. He looked homeless, too. Not good. I was worried about the guy. It's I'm his like, playoff beard. Playoff beard. Looks like it's his under-the-bridge beard. <laughs> I'm just saying. I wanted to buy the guy a sandwich. There were a lot of takeaways from last night, including I Lane Thomas. I, I don't know what happened
5: to Lane Thomas in right field. I but know what
6: happened. He was checking Ozuna's game tape
5: out. <laughs> it was strange. It was really strange. So, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Take it or leave it. If Carlos was pitching, Ryan Braun would get drilled. That's why the Cardinals are pretty lucky he's not starting today. Um, because i do think there's a chance of it because carlos is he, him and yadi are close and if carlos was starting to, today i think there's at least a chance that he would take jamie's recommendation and he throw it high and tight and it, it could yeah. get a problem text
6: line here good idea 402 now you're thinking like me okay i like this stuff hey you send Wayno in. He buzzes the tower gets kicked out of the first game starts the second game so you cue Oviedo and you tell him, hey, listen, buddy, you're, not, you're not, not really starting the second game. You will be starting the first game. I like the strategy. In all
3: honesty, does Wayno get thrown
6: out? Yes. A respect, yeah, so the veteran respect, you
3: think? A hundred percent. I think he gets the benefit of the doubt. After I think he gets the what benefit, too. Yesterday, you're no. already
5: not supposed to try to fight in this but current Adam season. Adam
3: Yeah, but he can call it off as, a uh, sorry, lost control. Yeah. If you're throwing behind the guy's head, then maybe. It's cold out today. I,
5: I can't wonder... feel
6: the ball. It's you're a, in Milwaukee, Isn't it in a it's dome? Cold.
3: Yes. Isn't it a dome? It's freezing. The A.C.'s down in Milwaukee. That's what it is.
6: Maybe uh, somebody likes it cold <laughs> in there.
3: Henesis Cabrera would be another one that I could see buzz the tower too. He's another emotional guy if he got Reyes the opportunity. Reyes
6: certainly do it. No, none of them would because it's it's yeah. not smart.
3: Yes. You can't, especially for how much the the bullpen has been taxed <laughs> over the last 24 hours. If
5: this was three weeks ago and the Cardinals were just starting this and everybody was healthy at that, maybe,
6: maybe you'd do it. Maybe. <laughs> I've gotten better. I didn't say put it in his ear hole. I said the between between the shoulder blades, which I've learned now is probably nicer to do than in the ear hole. But, hey, I wanted to talk about something yeah. related to last night's game. Switching gears here quickly. Switching quick. Uh, you know, we were texting back and forth, and I was like, how many subs can you make in one game? Like, what's the number? And you said you can make as many as you want. Then we get towards the end of the game, and the Cardinals are out of players. Yeah. I hear what well, Danny Mack talking about putting Adam Wainwright like, in the outfield or somebody like that are you allowed to do that
5: yeah if they haven't played
6: you can you can use as many guys as you want
5: to you just once you use them and they're out of the game they're done with the yeah. game as much as, as big as your bench is you can
3: use them in any position possible
6: so but this is a bit of a tell too right the pitching obviously you get a pitcher that leaves the game early it stresses your bullpen you've got some injuries in the bullpen this is why wayne was not going to pitch at brawn right. because you don't want to put that stress in the bullpen but are we seeing some stress now on the position players to where you're subbing out so many guys in and out all over the place? And now you're stuck at the end of the game where Matt Weeters is your only true sub to where if you need him somewhere, he can go in, especially with injuries when you think of with Wong and and um, that's something to pay attention Yachty to. And yeah. Fowler,
5: We don't have any update yet on Colton Wong. We don't have any update yet on Yachty or Molina. I would think that we should get that at some point here in the not too distant future, but if those guys are out for any extended period of time, it's, it's going to be Williams. a serious problem for the Bulls. It's going to be a serious problem for them. Uh, last thing that I wanted to get to here, Derek Gould tweeted last night: "Quote This is the law. Lo- this loss is becoming the kind of loss that is so bad." Uh, It is not a self-contained loss. It strains a roster and leads to other losses in the coming days, especially with a doubleheader looming tomorrow. That is one thing they have to be careful with here. You cannot allow yesterday to avalanche upon itself. You can't allow that to bleed into today where the at-bats once again look as ugly as they did last night. We didn't talk about the offense because they gave up 18 runs. What offense? But the offense was bad once again last night. The pitching was bad last night for the first time in a while. Adam Wainwright has been the ace this year for a reason. It's because whenever they've needed a big start like tonight, and they need a big start tonight, he's come through. He's got to do it again. It's crazy to continue counting on him in this way, but they have to. And he's come through so many times so far this season. This is a massive moment for him, and they once again need him to stop the bleeding.
6: What happens if, for some reason, Wainwright has an off day? Who have they got available now? Like, they've got Reyes. And Cabrera, I believe, that are available from the bullpen. But after that
3: Yeah, Tyler Webb would be available. Okay, yeah. Is oh, Oviedo back backing? Yeah, but he'll be starting he'll
5: be starting, uh, in the starting second games right. they,
6: starting. I think they're gonna be okay for uh, I'm just worried. Like if it's like if it's yeah, a two inning disaster, too. which I don't think that'll happen, Ueno has been just nails so far this year. I think year. Gomber should be available. Well, so I guess
3: Ponce wouldn't be because he pitched six yeah. innings for you, so he's not gonna be available but you have enough guys, I think, that can give you innings if you need them. But the problem is if if Ueno only makes it like Flaherty did yesterday, I mean, you are going to be taxed when it
6: comes to that second Chris game. Chris
5: Matt wearing it the way that he did yesterday, him giving you three innings was huge.
6: I thought Schulte was going to let somebody else just wear that. I basically, did what Chris not pitched well enough? But that was but that was Woodford, the guy. Like I know he was awful, but at, at that uh, one point in that inning, I am sitting there going, "You know what, Shilty? Just let him wear it. Let him wear it. If it gets to thirty, it doesn't matter. Let him wear it, and tell him like I am sorry, man, but you are the guy."
5: He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's going to join us coming up next with the latest with the Alex Petrangelo situation, what the loss of Bill Armstrong would mean for the Blues. All of that and more with Chris Kerber coming up next.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues. He is Chris Kerber. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, thanks so much for the time today, man. Let's start with this. Earlier today, we uh, listened to a quote from Darren Drager saying that NHL teams, and specifically he referenced Arizona, probably going to be looking to offload some of their salary this year. From your perspective, looking at this thing from outside, how much do you think we are going to see teams do that where they're just going to offload salary because of what we saw this year with the loss of revenue?
9: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I I think I've heard similar things uh, about Arizona as well. Um, I I think there's been another uh, and I can't remember off the top of my head, Brandon, another team or two where they've talked about internal cap. You know, the the league is a salary cap. That's not that's not necessarily where a team has to have its budget. Um, there's just a floor and there's a cap. Uh, so, you know, I think that and there's one or two other teams that, that are in that same boat that have said, uh, we, we may have an internal cap, say around 71 million versus 81 million, those kind of things. So all right, man, I, man, this is going to impact a lot here in terms of one, the market, but two, who becomes available, how three, it can impact competitive balance. I mean, this, it, it, it is a fascinating aspect of, of the impact of COVID here because it, it doesn't just, it's not just impacting, going to impact the business as we know it for fans. I mean, I, I think it's going to have a, got to have, it, it at some point has to have an impact on what a free agent market looks like.
6: Now, Curves, what I, what I want to talk about is with the free agents and whatnot, and the players that are coming up for contract, even trade possibilities, I, I talked about it earlier. I feel like the upper class players, meaning the top paid guys in the league, they're probably gonna be fine. And I think your entry level and your lower tier players are probably gonna be somewhat in the same area. But that the middle class payroll for players that are in the NHL, they're gonna that's gonna be problematic. And so I guess my question to you is. If the Blues are trying to make some moves, they do have a good percentage of, we'll call them middle class payroll guys. How difficult do you think that'll be for for them to move a player or to make a trade or anything at all, based on the fact that some teams may not be looking for that four, five, six million dollar player; they're looking more for the one to one and a half million dollar player.
9: Yeah, it's a, a, so you know a couple of parts to that, Jamie. If you remember, you go back to the oh four oh five lockout and. and remember one of the big arguments that was made against a salary cap was that eventually you were going to have your haves and your have-nots, and it was going to give the majority of money under the cap to a few players, and then everything else had to be divided. And And that was one of the arguments. Yeah, of, Bob Goodenow called associated. it the
6: stars over Kansas theory, that you have nothing, you see the stars, and that's all, everybody else is irrelevant.
9: Right, and, and you know what, when you look back now, uh, essentially what, almost 15 years later, uh, that's happened. I mean, it really has. I think we might have talked about it last week or maybe on one of the other shows when we talk about guys like having some guys whose pro careers may have ended uh, a year or two early because of salary cap issues and and no one was there to sign them. Now, to your point, with the Blues, I I think – I actually think what the Blues have done is in their favor to move something because – when you're talking about average annual values, I think teams are finding those middle ones palpable because they do feel that they can move them. If you go to make a trade and you go to make a trade for a player that's in that four to $5 million range, even the case of six, it doesn't sting as much as somebody in that eight, nine, $10 million range. And so, if there's going to be a market correction, it may be a market correction in the fact that a 15 goal scorer is no longer a four million dollar player, you know, and and that's that's what we could see here. So I don't think that it, it's well. That's a real fascinating aspect of this. I I, I really got to think though that in the here's what we've learned. I guess in the end, when we like when we saw some teams like the Jeff Carter deal with Philadelphia, right, and watch that contract get moved out to Los Angeles. And some other long-term contracts get moved. You're like, okay, no one's going to trade for one of those. And yet we saw a move, right? I think in the end, teams find a way if it's a player that they really want, and I don't think that aspect of it will change.
5: I guess the follow-up question that I would have, Curbs, is we, we've we mentioned so much about Tyler Bozak this offseason and his his contract, and it's nothing against Bozak. We all like the player. We all would love to see him stay here in St. Louis, but as you look down the, the list of contracts and where the Blues could potentially cut, his name is seems to be the one that's most frequently brought up. It, if you could get Tyler Bozak for $5 million, which is what he's at right now for one year, this upcoming season's the final year on his deal, but you have to give up an asset to get him, or you can go on the open market where potentially the salaries are depressed this offseason, and maybe that typical $5 million player is only going to cost you $2 million this time around, does it make it more difficult to trade a guy like Bozak this offseason than it would be in a normal offseason, in your opinion?
9: Uh, yeah, I do think, you know, the the market, it, it could. It, it, in, in the scenario that you just described, it could. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that when you actually and, and you have to look at the actual list of free agents that are out there. And I'm not sure that you're going to, every now and then once camp is opened up, you'll find some bargains. I don't know that you're going to find that kind of bargain where, again, going back to what I finished with Jamie there, Eventually, if this is a player you want, you're going to find a way to get him because there is something you want, whether it is now the Stanley Cup championship experience, the role, the leadership, whatever it may be. Uh, you know that that'll play a, that'll play a role in it. I, I just I just wonder, guys, more along the, the market side of it is our free agents and and their agents are are they going to go into this off season thinking that this is like any normal off season? demanding that kind of uh, a certain amount of money, a certain kind of thing with a flat salary cap, or is because of all the market issues that have happened due to COVID and money issues that have happened there, uh, does that actually change what the market looks like in terms of what teams can afford? And guys, look, we, we've heard of things like in, in baseball and these other sports, you know, collusion with, with free agents in baseball over the last uh, couple of seasons, right? This one's very different. I mean, you're going to have teams that say, "Look, we're not going to spend to the cap. We don't. We, we don't. We just don't have that income to be able to do so." So I'm like, where this market settles is going to be a real interesting one. If we just see a myriad of spending, or if we see a much more conservative approach, and I, I just don't know which side that ball is going to fall yet.
5: Final question for the Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford reporting that Bill Armstrong and Arizona are close on making him a deal uh, to become the next GM of the Coyotes. If that does end up getting done, Kerbs, what are the Blues losing with Bill Armstrong potentially walking out of the building?
9: Uh, They're losing a really good guy in terms of draft and scouting and, and, and understanding what the organization needed from that standpoint in terms of uh, the chances you have to take in in, in drafting young players and uh, the losing a guy with a tremendous work ethic and a terrific human being on top of it all and and they're gonna have to fill it and guys I don't think that this is a, a small thing in any way if you go back over the last well let's let's go back all the way to the drafting of of Eric Johnson and on when Yarmo Kekalainen was in charge of the draft for the Blues and you basically go from Yarmo Kekalane into Bill Armstrong. You know, Bill Armstrong took over after Yarmo left to, to go join Columbus. That's that's a pretty solid run over two guys that were in charge of your draft under Larry Plo and then now Doug Armstrong. So it's it's a role that'll be interesting to see how Doug fills. We we know that what Doug has a real demanding work ethic, I think, when it comes to especially in this role. Doug understands what it takes and how many times you've got to go see a player and and what you feel and how you feel that out. And I think the St. Louis Blues over the last 10 to 15 years have, for the most part, really drafted very well. And for them to have the kind of success they've had with only a couple of top ten picks overall is really impressive. And that stresses the importance of the role. So, and, And essentially, don't forget, Bill Armstrong was in charge of the draft and then given the assistant general manager title, right? So he really had a dual role. We'll have to wait and find out if Doug is going to kind of go back to splitting that role up, keeping the one combined, whether he fills it in house with a Tim Taylor or Rob DeMaio, who have been uh, longtime long time parts of the St. Louis blues, or if he goes outside uh, for another angle on things, we'll wait and see, but it is a, it's not talked about much. It's not looked at much because of the way hockey structures are in place, but man, is it a critical, critical role if you're going to stay competitive year in, year out.
5: It'll be interesting to see where they go. He's the voice of the blues. He is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. He joins us each and every Wednesday right here on Ribs and BK. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and your family.
9: Jamie, Brandon, thank you, buddy. Uh, we will talk to you guys soon. See ya. Sounds you. Sounds good. Ya, you got
5: it. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross it over the fast lane next.
1: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie Ranji's just being difficult in this studio. <laughs> Chris Ranji here oh, with thanks, us. Crossing things yes. over with the fast lane. Ranji, what's going on with your Bears, buddy? What do you mean? Well, they had this great week one victory, and the passing game just looked so good in the fourth quarter, so much so, and Allen Robinson was such a big part of it that apparently uh, he's not exactly thrilled with the organization now and he has teammates taking to Twitter to say... Pay A-Rob. Yeah. Um, could yeah. could be going better. That's probably not what you're looking for as an organization after the first week of the NFL season when you had the best comeback of the week.
2: Well, it's very hard to side with the Bears uh, organization in terms of decisions because they usually aren't really great at it. Not usually. Um, I'm sure that we could scrounge up some examples recently of really poor decisions they've made, but we'll do that. Don't bring up Trubisky.
6: <laughs> that guy was circumcising gnats this Sunday. <laughs>
2: He he sure was he he sure was Jamie. Is that a saying? No, I think that was in uh, uh, Uncle Buck. That's an Uncle Buck reference. Is it? I think it is.
6: I don't think so. I think no, just no, no, made no, that it, up. it is. I said it before. I don't know if it has an origin. Yeah, but he was playing pretty good.
2: Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. He was just uh, just shredding the defense, wow. carving them up, right? Sizing naps, <laughs> Jamie. I love you. You okay, buddy? I'm good. All right, so. uh... <laughs> You know what I think happened? This is this is my opinion. I believe that he saw the Michael Thomas injury and is like, "Dude, I better I better get paid because this could be this could be bad for me. I better get paid because I haven't. He hasn't truly gotten paid yet in his career. He makes well, you know, football players. Relative terms, yeah, yeah. Uh, he hasn't gotten paid yet, and he sees that he probably, yeah, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should get that check before something like that happens to me. That's my impression of it because that's when this started. It was like the next day, you know. If I, I, I don't know. Maybe it has nothing to do with it, but I would venture to say that there's an injury risk he's worried about and wants to get his money first. So, uh, how worried are you about the Cardinals after what we saw yesterday? I'm still not really, not yet. Uh, what I'm starting to get slightly concerned about, and just slightly, is Flaherty because it's been now. He has not had a good... Well, he's had good starts, but he has not gotten into the seventh inning since his very first start of the season, as you guys know. Yeah, And I know they've been trying to treat him uh, carefully because he is the future for them. He's at least the the near future uh, at the top of the rotation. So they want to be careful. They don't want to put him in harm's way. They're trying to keep him from getting injured, which I, I completely understand that. But at some point, he's going to have to go deep. And uh, I, I feel like the... Uh, the fact that he hasn't been able to do it yet, or at least get into a, a sixth inning and finish a sixth inning, we haven't seen him do that all year except for July. See, the thing is, I just I wonder how much of that is the pitch count questions versus how much well, of
5: that is effectiveness. Because against the Royals, only 64 pitches through five. Typically, with Jack Flaherty, whenever he's at his true form, you would have expected him to continue going in right. that one. The next game, he ends up going five innings, allows just one earned run. Only threw 83 pitches. The one against Detroit throws five innings, part of a doubleheader, and that one. 95 pitches so i don't know how much of it was him not being effective versus how much of it is them just watching his pitch count he was pretty good in most of those starts last night was the first time where i was like oh this looks really bad
6: yeah for him. it's like they had the answers to the test the brewers yeah it, it seriously and we brought it up earlier today that he's had some well he hasn't had very good success against the brewers overall in all of his starts against the brewers I'm wondering if there's something they've picked up to where they're ahead of
2: them. Yes. It it could be they've identified something in him that he does. And there are some teams, some players, who are just really good at doing that. Uh, I've always been amazed at how a player is capable of that. And, you know, because when, when I watch a guy deliver a baseball... As much as I, as much baseball as I watch, it always looks the same to me. Like every time, it just kind of looks the same. I think it's really impressive when somebody can be in the dugout and go, "Oh, he's raising his glove up when he throws a fastball," or you know, he yep. he flares the glove when he's going to throw a breaking. Jamie ball. did a little bit of that with KK the other night.
6: Yeah, KK. I picked up a tell on KK is every time he leans down to get the sign from Yadi, the hand that he pitches with. He'll adjust his sleeve on his arm, and he'll go with five fingers on the sleeve, he'll go four fingers, or he'll go with a little circle with the three, which I think would probably be a change-up. And every time he did it, I have noticed, especially the circle one, was that little breaking ball to the outside corner. So how about that? You know
2: what? Baseball guy, Jamie Rivers. You'd be really good at those uh, those bar games. You know, like the, the monitor the on bar. the... Uh, well, I know you're good at the bar. But <laughs> the monitor that's on the bar, you put the money in, and uh, you have to identify the two pictures and like what's different in each yeah, yeah. one.
6: You would be awesome well, at that. Well, look, at, these are things that we pick up in the hockey world where it's happening yeah. at 25 miles an hour, right? And well, that's you why you know to do it. you a guy's tell, like how he opens up his blade a certain way or closes it over when he's going to do something. If he looks a certain way when he's going to make a pass or how he moves his body... So I'm kind of trained to pick up on things moving fast. So when I look at body language in baseball, which these guys make fun of me about all the time, I see it. Actually, more clearly because they're moving slower.
2: Yeah, that's so fascinating. To it's me. the thing that Mitchell Trubisky really struggles okay, with is when a to... defender, you know, opens his hips. Why do you, he have, just to... Doesn't see why do you have to bring <laughs> it back to Mitch? Ron's coming up on the fast lane today. Don't talk buddy. about Mitchie football that way. We're we're going to start things off with the Cardinals and with what whatever in the world happened last yeah. night with uh, Yadier Molina and the Brewers and Craig Council and Mike Schilt. What the hell's going on around here? We'll talk about that. Talk about the team as we get ready for the double header this afternoon
5: that's coming up hopefully we find out uh the latest with whatever's going on with colton Wong. fingers crossed something good so uh expect some news on that with the fast lane coming up whatever's going on with yadier molina should get an update on that as well it's all from two to six right here on 101
1: espn you have been listening to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn